is a story I was not looking forward to reporting. The death of Tony Bennett Friday morning. 96 years old, uh, but man, what a life, what a legacy. What a catalog of enjoyment that he gave us through the years. Uh, suffering from Alzheimer's for the past five years. Was it five years the, that he was first diagnosed? And then went public with the diagnosis. Right, yeah. And uh, about a year ago, um, retiring from uh, performing after that amazing Radio City Music Hall concert that he did with Lady Gaga. Uh, which, by the way, CBS is going to be rerunning that tonight. Uh, and if you missed it the first time, uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, because even though it's his final concert, even though he is deep in the throes of Alzheimer's and not remembering a lot of people's names, uh, when the music comes on, he comes back. And he's the master once again. So... Uh, I couldn't be sadder about uh, the death of Tony Bennett. Saw him many times perform. I interviewed him one time uh, my, in my early days here at WGN. Roy Leonard had scheduled an interview with him. I don't know what, Roy got sick, something happened. I filled in and, uh, oh yeah, your guests, uh, the, Roy already has lined up. Tony Bennett, you're going to interview Tony yeah, Bennett. No pressure there. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, you had him in studio. Had him in studio. <sighs> Have a photo of him. Uh, we posted on social media, uh, and uh, I have no idea what happened to that <laughs> the recording of that interview. <laughs> Nor do you remember the interview. I remember. That, yeah. I remember the interview. I remember you know that I was like having a having a having a having a. Those are the ones people always ask. Do you ever get nervous interviewing the A-listers? Guys like him are the ones that I get, yep. get nervous. Yeah, the the classics. Uh, but he couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more of a gentleman. Uh, and all the times I, I I don't know how many times I have seen him in concert, but every single time I'm left with my jaw dropped to the ground at how he doesn't just sing the words of a song like nearly every single other performer. Uh, but you want to take somebody who interprets the words that he sang and makes you feel the words that he sang. Nobody did that better than Tony Bennett. So, um, yeah, sad, sad this week. And those of us of a certain age also remember the, um, <laughs> that's, we're talking about you and I, Dean. But the um, what are you talking MT- about? Well, the MTV. Well, the you don't have to be as old as us to remember the MTV. That, that was really uh, that was big news when he uh, had that kind of resurgence in his career. Yeah, well, that he went on MTV. Yeah, you know, the uh, back in those days, it was the land of uh, you know who who was uh, popular in the early eighties. Uh, yeah, Michael Jackson and yeah, you know, were they playing Madonna? Because, MTV didn't play Michael Jackson for a very long time. No. Uh, that was a deal. But, you know, whoever were the big names of the early 80s, that's what right. MTV was playing. And then yeah. all, all of a sudden... Here's Tony Bennett. Here's Tony Bennett, and he just does the concert of his life. The The soundtrack from that a broadcast won the Grammy Award for Album of the Year hmm. that year. That is right. Uh, so yeah, but it exposed him to a whole new audience, just as he did later in his career when he performed with 
uh, Amy Winehouse and Sting and Stevie Wonder and, of course, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, yeah. Uh, who, uh, you know, they just became best of friends, and you could, you could just tell the incredible admiration that Lady Gaga had for Tony Bennett. Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a great loss, but you know, thankfully we have the the music. Um, I'm gonna miss I, I I missed that he was not at Ravinia. You know that that's that was always a staple to go up to Ravinia to see Tony Bennett, which I did several times solo. But I was lucky enough to be at that show with Lady Gaga, and uh, wow, that was a performance. That was a performance. Was it with a big band? Was it with a, yeah. an orchestra? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. That would have been awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And I think I told you guys that when I was in Las Vegas a couple of years ago for a wedding, Gaga happened to have been was there, in town yeah. doing her jazz and standard show. She yeah. does a show where she just, and, and it's sort of a tribute to Tony Bennett. Uh, she has a like a 29-piece orchestra and does nothing but jazz and standards, and she knocks it out of the park as well no doubt inspired by the music and her friendship with uh, tony bennett so there was a small club you may remember dean called the gold star sardine bar sure. that was around in the 80s you know very intimate room was yeah. it down on state Street it was off someplace? of lakeshore drive actually oh okay uh, 600 700 the, north lakeshore i remember the name yeah and uh, it was a very intimate room a small room for you know a piano trio and duets and singers uh, and then i the story goes that one night tony bennett was here in chicago and Happened to drop in. <laughs> that would have been a show imagine, to see there. Yeah. Imagine that you go in there. Stay, all of a sudden, there's have Tony a, Bennett. Have a martini and listen to a <laughs> exactly. little music, and yeah. all of a sudden, <laughs> hey, hey, uh, I love my heart in San Francisco. <laughs> and whoever would be playing the piano there would just, you know, oh, I'm accompanying I'm Tony, Bennett. To Tony Bennett. Oh. Wow. All right. I love when I start the show with something sad. <laughs> well, this is news. You had to report it. It's new. Yeah. It, I mean, and, you know, it, it's it's sad that he passed away. But, you know, I've 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 tr- really tried with uh, deaths in my family of you know people who I admire, like Tina Turner, et cetera, to turn all those things into as positive a thing as they can be. In other words, remembering what they did, what the they great accomplished. Things, remembering the things that will make you smile and laugh uh, about when you think of them for the rest of your life. And and all the good that they did. Yeah. All right. So anybody got a joke or anything? <laughs> anybody know why the chicken crossed it's the road? To get to you. <laughs> Any, uh... What's black and white and red all over? <laughs> oh, no, exploding no. zebra. <laughs> Oh, no, we've turned into speed jokes. Oh, no. Where's a speed joke when you really need one? Knock, knock. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who's there, Shwani? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't have a joke. No, I, I don't you, have oh, one. I thought no. you had one. Uh. Just, there were just knock-knock jokes. Okay. <laughs> Is your refrigerator running? No. <laughs> you better go catch it. My favorite genre of joke. <laughs> my favorite genre of joke. This was popular in high school. Yo mama is mm-hmm. blank, blank, blank. 
and then you go back and forth with your friends. So, oh, yeah? Well, your <laughs> mama is blank, blank, blank. <laughs> okay. And that's today's program. Thank you for listening, everybody. Good night, everybody. That's all we have <laughs> for today. That's the way it is. That's all Sunday, we have for today. July 23rd. That's right. Um, Andy reported in the sportscast, our old pal Pat Hughes mm-hmm. uh, being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame yesterday. Correct. Uh, and not a surprise, he gives the most beautiful, eloquent acceptance speech. It was very good. Um, thanking everybody in the world. Uh, in typical Pat Hughes fashion, deflecting the accolades which should be on him, mm-hmm. he gave to everybody else who supported him and you know made it uh, easy for him, including... When Mr. Andy Mazur. It's a nice that little honor. Yeah, it was very cool. I, I I didn't hear the speech live. I saw it later, but I had gotten a bunch of texts from uh, from friends that said they had seen it and that he had mentioned my name, and I was very flattered and very happy to to know that I was a small part of Pat's Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Well, you uh, you know you you uh, worked with uh, him and Ron Santo very right. very closely. Right. Some would say, I mean, you know, there's been many amazing Cubs moments that Pat has delivered uh, over the years. But I'm sorry, the, <laughs> those those Pat and Ron Santo moments uh-huh. uh, can never be replaced. No, <laughs> they I, are. They, they, that's why they're both Hall of Famers. It's so rare that a broadcast team like that will supersede the actual team yeah. uh, in, in you know, promotion and, and everything else. But being there and having a front row seat to it all, it was the truth. And it was so much fun because a lot of it was just absolutely organic. Nothing was ever planned. Obviously, you can't plan for things of a baseball game. Right. Uh, you know, Matt Boltz and I had the, the back row seat, so to speak, to the, to the two guys that were doing their thing there. And it was just so spontaneously hilarious. You, you couldn't believe it. You couldn't, you couldn't script it any better than you it actually not, came out. You could not script it. You, yeah. you definitely, I mean, Ron was so, Ronnie uh, Santo was so spontaneous. Oh, my God. Uh, it, which is what made it great. And Pat knew just which buttons to push. He did. Uh, to uh, get, get him to dig himself a little deeper uh-huh. and say things that he probably wouldn't have. And, uh, yeah. I mean, Pat is... As I, I posted uh, congratulations to Pat on uh, my social media yesterday and said, you know, what a terrific gentleman he is. Mm-hmm. But he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal broadcaster. Yes, he is. You know, I think the statute of limitations has probably expired here, so I can admit something that we used to do to Ronnie. Ooh. We, uh, Bolte and I would, uh, every once in a while when the game was getting bad, and it, it was a lot of times that when never, we were That we never were happened. Remember, that never happened at Wrigley Field. You remember back in the day we had that fax machine in the booth? Oh, yeah. It was right between Pat Didn't and Ron. people used to fax questions yeah. and things like that? Yeah. Well, Matt and I used to make up faxes and send them to Ronnie just to see how he would react to them. <laughs> <laughs> There were a couple that were, uh, for example, that didn't make air. Uh, there was one where he was talking about Star Wars a lot, and we decided to write him a letter from Chewbacca <laughs> to teach him how to wash prop- to properly wash his his hairpiece, <laughs> and it involved uh, beer and a dishwasher. Oh no! Yeah. So it's uh, it, there were there were so many fun Larry, moments with those guys. Hilarious. It was it was it was it wasn't working. I, I hate to say that to the bosses before uh, before the ones that are here now, but it was 
so enjoyable. And you never knew what was going to happen. That was the beauty of the whole thing. You know, uh, not being, you know, the ultra sports fan, uh, I could not wait to hear Pat and Ron Santo (laughs) every day. I would, I would like stop what I was doing to listen. I didn't even care that a baseball game was going on. I I just wanted to hear what Pat and Ron were going to do that day. It was great. That's that's what uh, you know it was all about, and our our love for Ron Santo knows no ends. But uh, ditto with Pat Hughes. He's he is a, a master. Uh, and uh, very deserved of being in the Hall of Fame. Do you know who was the first to introduce uh, Pat Hughes uh, uh, to Chicago on the air? Was it you? One Mr. Dean Richards. Nice. I was filling in for Kathy and Judy on the day that they made the announcement that Pat Hughes was going to be the new play-by-play man. I think they did it at the hotel across the street from where the radio station was, Schwanny, as you uh, you know it, the old dump on Michigan Avenue. That's your term. Uh, That's your term. They made the official announcement, and then they brought, uh, I don't remember if it was Pat and Ron, but Pat, you know, the first day I met him, and first day Chicago met him, first time he was on the air on WGN. Uh, So I don't know why he didn't thank me yesterday. I don't either. I was the one that introduced him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really, really. How quickly people forget, huh? Yeah. Twenty. did he mention you at all? No. No. Don't you think he should have? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, he doesn't know me. I have nothing but respect for him and, and all he's done. But all, he the, all the more reason to bring you up. <laughs> Kind of bolster you, bolster you up a little bit, Andy. I certainly understand. Yeah, yeah. And me, um, no. <laughs> I could have refused oh, well. to have him on my show that day. That's true. <laughs> you could have changed yeah, the course the of his career. Was okay. He can be on, but is he going to say anything about me? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's what. Honestly, that's what this Hall of Fame induction is about. Really, uh-huh. is uh, did I get mentioned? <laughs> That's really what it's all about. Uh-huh. Uh, you know uh, what we have next, which will be one day when Dave Schwann is inducted into the, uh, well, I guess there is no, well, is there a Hall of Fame for us? For for us? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about a Hall of Fame, but uh, there may be a Hall for something. <laughs> <laughs> Down the hall. Down the hall. Our hats and coats. I was spending time out in the hall more than in the classroom. I've got my speech all ready to go to, oh. to induct you. Oh, so it's going to be you. I'm going to induct you. You're going to induct Nice. Me. Yes, of course. Who I else? can't wait. Who else would induct you into the hall of fame? <laughs> Who else is, would be the appropriate person to <laughs> sing your accolades? <laughs> After all these years, knowing right? you longer. After all these years, know which buttons to push. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> uh, Dave Schwan with the award-winning far-flung forecast is next. And here with the latest, it's Dave. That ball is gone, <laughs> Schwan. Thank you very much, Dean. Good morning, everyone. 
Get out your compasses and protractors and your newfangled GPS devices because today... My AI. I use AI. Your AI? Oh, it's your AI now? I use AI during the far-flung forecast. Artificial intelligence for those of us that use uh, the full terminology. Yeah, that don't have... That have more of the A than I. (laughs) Right, artificial. (laughs) Uh, But we head west and a bit north of San Francisco to Mill Valley, Hmm. California. Mm. Population 14,231. There is evidence of uh, Native Americans and indigenous peoples living there as far back as 6,000 years ago. But it was settled in the 1830s and 40s. And also uh, is a place where a man by the name of George Corey went to school. Does the name George Corey do anything mm, for you? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No? Nope. Well, he and a partner uh, that uh, he collaborated with in the music business by the name of Douglas Cross wrote this song. I left George Corey and Douglas Cross collaborating mm. on I Left My Heart in San Francisco. It actually was their only hit. They wrote a number of different songs, but this one made the big time thanks to Tony Bennett and his musical director, Ralph Sharon, in uh, the 1960s and uh, provided uh, Mr. Corey and Mr. Cross with lifetime income also. But Mill Valley, California was home to George Corey. It is partly sunny and 58 there right now. Do you know that's the song that Tony Bennett performed on the very first Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? No, I didn't know that. He was a guest on the very first Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Wow. And introduced his little song. Little song, yeah. <laughs> I love my little ditty. Could have picked any other vital organ. He picked heart. <laughs> Though the story is that uh, Corey and Cross were both West Coasters. They went to New York to try to make it as songwriters and got homesick. Yeah. So they left their hearts the in San Francisco. They left their hearts in San Francisco. Yeah. It would have been a whole different song if they had left their pancreas there. (laughs) Whole different thing. Always a bright and sunny day when we are joined by Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Dean. How are you doing today? Doing very, very, very well. We started the show talking about the death of Tony Bennett, uh, living with Alzheimer's, uh, first announced to the public about five years ago and then uh, retiring from performing about a year ago as the uh, disease progressed with him. Uh, We've talked about Alzheimer's on this segment uh, several times over the past month or so, but I think it's just worth revisiting briefly uh, to um, talk about what Tony Bennett went through. I mean, from from all that you've gathered, I, I, I know that, you know, you didn't have the charts in front of you, but... I'm sure, you know, from what you've heard, it followed the pretty normal pattern, didn't it, with uh, people who are living with Alzheimer's? Yeah, it really did. And, you know, I I think that what's amazing is what you said earlier, where it was he just stopped performing a year and a half ago, I think. You know, here's an individual who understood what was going on in his disease process probably early on and yet still got the joy and pleasure of singing and remembering those songs and remembering, which shows us, you know, the Alzheimer's, a lot of it is recent memory loss versus long-term memory loss, where you 
you can still recognize people or you recognize something that happened a long time ago, but you don't remember where you put your car keys or you don't remember you know, those early signs of that short-term early memory loss versus long-term memory loss. He uh, uh, didn't remember the people's names who were around him. Uh, yep. d- didn't remember his wife's name. Didn't remember his accompanist's name. Uh, didn't didn't say that although he had been rehearsing with Lady Gaga, uh, didn't call her by name. It was just presumed that he also didn't remember her name. Uh, yet in their final concert, uh, when uh, Tony's on stage by himself singing. And then Gaga comes out, and the crowd goes wild, and Tony Bennett, for the first time, says, Lady Gaga! It's like it came back to him. Uh, when when he was in his element with music, uh, it, it all came back. That's, that's not uncommon, is it? It's not. And like you said, not remembering someone's name, looking at them, and really trying to focus on who that individual is and what their name is is very common. But I, I hope that people really get the look of it and say, hey, you know, look how he handled the end of his life there and whether his family was so supportive to keep him as active as possible and not in an embarrassing situation, right? I mean, he had crowds cheering for him. He may not have remembered someone's name, but he still was a performer. And I think that social interaction probably extended his life a little bit, you know, getting up, moving, doing things, yeah. um, which unfortunately we, we lose a lot of that as, as Alzheimer's progresses. They say that at his final concert at Radio City Music Hall, that he would be backstage uh, in the wings, not knowing where he was, not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, yet when the orchestra started and he would go on stage, boom, the lights went on. Yeah. And he was able to remember flawlessly every single lyric, intonation, uh, the interpretation of songs, uh, it's all, I mean, it's the mystery of Alzheimer's, isn't it? How all of that is somehow tucked away somewhere in the brain and all just came back when he heard that music. Yeah, and and you hope that this, you know, is the last generation to suffer like this. You know, the medications that are coming out right now and hopefully earlier diagnosis and getting on medication earlier I mean, it would be nice if this was the last generation to suffer from this illness and the advancements and strides that are being made right now in technology and the fundraising that's going on for this has just been fantastic. And we get encouraging news like Lakembi, you know, the drug that was really just approved here recently. That's going to really make an impact. And like I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that this is a penicillin. This is the first drug that was a, you know, be a blockbuster drug that, will only get perfected and will get drugs that work better, that have less side effects and are easier to take as we advance. The, uh, the final concert for Tony Bennett uh, at Radio City Music Hall with Lady Gaga is being repeated on CBS tonight. Uh, I hi- highly recommend it. I mean, if you're interested in Alzheimer's, it's a very interesting look at how uh, Tony Bennett and his wife and family and friends dealt with this but also the the making of this concert and uh tony bursting out of the limitations of alzheimer's uh to put on one final amazing performance uh talking about drugs uh the drugs that we are hearing about right now are these uh, injectable 
drugs for diabetes, for heart disease, blood pressure, and weight loss is turning out to be uh, one of the uh, big uh, side effects of some of these drugs like Ozempic and Monjero and uh, Wegovy. Um, I mean, these are just like the, the hottest drugs around right now, aren't they? It really, yeah, they are. It, it's really interesting. You know, when you look at a, what a medication is to be used for, you know, this was a medication that was designed for treating diabetes, which is just rampant in this country. And it's interesting. They start to say, wait a second, you know what? All these guys who are taking this, not only is their diabetes better, but they're lo- losing a lot of weight. Very similar story with, you know, Chantix, you know, a medication that was going to be given, you know, and one of the side effects of Chantix was that people stopped smoking. So, Uh-oh. sounds like we lost Dr. Most. Something happened to the phone line. Uh, we'll get Dr. Most back up on the phone, pick it up again, talking about these uh, drugs that uh, people can't get enough of. But also, I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Most about the side effect of these drugs. I've been hearing unbelievable stories about uh, very severe side effects that some people are having with these drugs. Uh, let's get to that when we come right back. Dean Richards, Sunday morning, WGN with Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. I think we've got our phone glitch figured out here, uh, doctor. And uh, we were talking about Ozempic and some of these uh, injectable drugs uh, that were intended to help with diabetes that are showing a benefit of great weight loss. Uh, is this something that people should be excited about? Oh, absolutely. You know, when we look at it, and and Ozempic right now, a study is being done currently on an oral pill because right now Ozempic is injectable. You know, you you have to, uh, it's it's not a pill. But when you look at the results of what they're doing, we have to understand that this is a drug for type 2 diabetes, right? So what it does is it slows the emptying of our stomachs and we're not eating as much. So it's not like it's, it's really kind of helping us learn again how to eat properly in a way that's using the medication. But I think the fantastic thing about it, Dean, is when you look at obesity in this country right now and the impact it's having on diabetes and heart disease and kidney disease, as well as just joint replacements and back pain, and if we can control people's weight and bring their weight down appropriately, with a medication that really just tells them to stop eating more, I think it's really it's a win-win. Now, you had mentioned that the drug uh, makes people feel as though their stomach is not empty, therefore they're not as hungry. But what is the um, what, what, what's the uh, what does it do in terms of diabetes? The original intent of the drug, right? So. It, There's type 1 and type 2 diabetes, right? Type 1 diabetes, we don't make enough insulin. So what we need to do is we need to give insulin shots. Type 2 diabetes, we have have plenty of insulin. It's just that when we put on as much weight as we do, that our insulin gets to be less effective. So what this does is it decreases that number of caloric intake coming in and then also regulates the release of insulin so that the blood sugar is is monitored, excuse me, is, is stabilized more at a lower level. So it's telling the brain, hey, stop eating, and then also telling the pancreas, okay, here's how much insulin we're going to put out. I've heard uh, so many stories, more than the usual, when there's a drug and you hear other you know, side effects may occur on uh, the, this drug or you know, that drug. Uh, but for Ozempic in particular, 
uh, there have been volumes of stories of severe side effects that people are having, nausea, stomach pain, constipation, uh, diet, uh, diarrhea, um, uh, vomiting. Are, are the uh, side effects more significant than most any other drug with this? Well, I think it's interesting. You know, the way the FDA works is you if you are going to tell people about your drug and the impact of it, then you have to list the side effects and tell them, you know, if it's above a certain percentage, those must be disclosed immediately. So I I think you're going to look at it and have people kind of take that risk reward because this is not going to be like a blood pressure pill that you're going to be on for the rest of your life. Potentially, this is a drug you'll be on for a year, 18 months. And if you get to that loss of 20% of your of your total body weight and now have learned a new way to eat, that's going to be the home run to say, now you can get off of that medication and potentially the side effects you may have. So uh, we all have to balance. It's a risk-reward issue. Doctors always talk about side effects of medications and say, here's what we're trying to get to. Here's the side effects. Here's the medication that we're going to use. Let's see if we can tolerate it. If not, we're going to look at a different option. Is there a significant difference between uh, an Ozempic and a Mongero and Wegovy and, you know, others, uh, which presumably will be coming along to try to duplicate this effect, one one more powerful, effective than another? No, you know, Wegovy is the only one right now that's approved for obesity, and that's approved for obesity if the patient has a weight-related condition along with their diabetes, like high blood pressure or cholesterol. The others are are still off-label. That's why these studies are being done. And again, I think this is going to be, it's a new class of drugs. It's a new way for us to think about how we're going to not only treat diabetes, but also impact weight loss. And I think as we start to perfect them, you're going to see that they're going to get better. Take the analogy of penicillin. We're used to have to take it five times a day. Well, nobody can take a medicine twice a day anymore. That has to be once a day for compliance. So I think we'll get these medications into a pill form, into a once a day and with minimal side effects, and this drug class will just continue to expand. Well, it's uh, you know it's pretty big news that uh, you know that this is available. You should contact your physician. Are most insurance companies uh, recognizing them now, or is that going to be an issue for patients? Well, it'll be an issue if you're going off label because sometimes insurance companies are saying you're not taking that for an indicated use that's been approved by the FDA. Therefore, the cost is on you. But most individuals would probably classify themselves into a point of where Wagovi would be approved because as you get obesity, chances are you're going to have some high blood pressure. Chances are you're going to have elevated cholesterol. So I think it's somebody that's a a motivated individual who wants to lose some weight and knows that the health-related conditions that they would be improving is going to be helpful for their long-term health should be talking to their doctor. Uh, we have uh, Joe on the phone line with a question for Dr. Most, 312-981-7200. Joe, you're on WGN. Good morning. WGN. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Thank you. Uh, doctor, uh, back in the fall, I applied for an Alzheimer's trial, and they do a blood test check and see if you have a marker, and I have the marker, and so I've been uh, accepted to the trial. I'm uh, ready to the next step where they're going to do an MRI, and then they're going to start giving me this infusion, and all of a sudden I'm getting cold feet. Um, any, you know, and I don't know why. I just, um, what, 
what would you say about that? Well, Joe, uh, first, thank you for advancing and signing up and considering that because this is what we need in individuals to participate in clinical trials. What they're going to do is if you have any signs of early Alzheimer's and they put you in this trial, you have to remember that these trials now are usually two things. You're either going to get the medication or you're going to get a placebo. And the placebo obviously will be an infusion pretty much of saline or the other one will be an infusion of the medication. Without individuals like you who have been accepted in trials, we're not going to advance it. Is a 50-50 chance that you're going to get the medication? Yeah. And really, if you do get the medication, they're going to be tracking you to see how does this work. So um, they're going to ask you about side effects, and they will stop you if you have side effects that are bad. So I, I would say, you know, if you're still on the fence about it, think about the impact that you might have in your own personal life if you actually get the trial drug and slow the progression of this illness. So thank you for considering it because we always need people that are going to get into a clinical trial to allow us to make sure that the medications we're putting out are not only safe, but also effective. Thank you for the call, uh, Joe. We appreciate that from the 847 area code. After you go off of the weight control drugs, uh, will you gain the weight back just like many do with bariatric surgery? Yeah. So that is, you know, the big thing that they're going to start looking at at a more long term. But what they're looking at right now, because the medication's really only been in existence in trials here for, I don't know, five, seven years. But they have seen people slide back a little bit, but not gaining back that 20% plus. Because often with people with bariatrics, not only do they gain the weight back, they gain it back plus. So would this be a time where if you started to go back up, you could be put back on this medication. So it's not like you can only take it for this period of time and that's it for your lifetime. But what they're showing is that most people are going to hit that 20% weight loss at 18 months and you won't need to be on the medicine. So you might creep back up, but they'll be watching that closely and, and uh, again, balance whether or not to go back on the medication is needed. Yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about bariatric surgery. Actually, I meant to ask you this last week uh, after we learned the official cause of death of Lisa Marie Presley. Apparently, she had had bariatric surgery and had some um, stomach obstructions as a result. Uh, they say that the, the report said that it was a very rare uh, side effect of uh, bariatric surgery. How concerned should people be if they're considering that kind of surgery? Uh, what, what's the, the safety of that right now? Yeah, you know, the complication rate is, is fairly low. Um, but with any surgery, especially any surgery in the intestines and in the stomach, you have to at least be going to this, you know, with a really good idea of what's going on. You know, bariatric surgery works essentially like this medication works, right? If we make the stomach smaller, by the time you get the food in there, it's going to send have tension. It's going to send a message to the brain, hey, I'm full. I don't want to eat anymore. Um, but it's permanent, right? I mean, that's there. They're not going back and reversing these surgeries. So it's... Uh, it's one where I would say go into it with open eyes. Try to make sure you understand that if you do go into it, there are some comp potential complications, but they're fairly low and you'll be well monitored. But again, you're going to have to be driven with beyond the surgery to keep the weight off. 708 area code asks, are there any new treatments for neuropathy? I'm seeing television commercials all over the place for the treatment of neuropathy. Uh, what can you tell us? 
Explain yeah, what that is. There were... Explain what it is, first of all. Well, neuropathy essentially is when your nerves don't work as well as they're supposed to. And this often happens in people's feet and sometimes in their hands as well. We call it peripheral neuropathy at the periphery of our body. And that's not unusual, right? That's the furthest point from the heart. So the blood supply that gets there, um, the, the energy support that gets there is, is the weakest in the body. The bad thing about it is we see it in diabetics. So really we're saying, okay, if we treat the diabetes better, will we decrease the neuropathy? Absolutely. There are other causes, though. And the bad thing about it is by the time you get it, the nerve is often damaged to a point where it's not going to come back. Not like um, lung disease, like we were talking about. You stop smoking, your lungs can, can you know, regenerate. Liver, same thing. But the nerves, unfortunately, in peripheral neuropathy don't. And this impacts people because they have pain in their feet, they have difficulty walking, their balance is off. So it's a really a devastating illness for people because it really almost puts them into social isolation sometimes as well because they don't want to get out because they look clumsy walking or they're in pain when they walk. So certainly a lot of interest being put into it. Um, not sure when we're going to see any new medications, though. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Have a great Sunday, Kev. Thank you. You got it, Dean. We'll talk soon. A lot of people have been asking what time the uh, Tony Bennett a replay is going to be on CBS tonight. They're replaying his final concert that he did with Lady Gaga at Radio City Music Hall uh, tonight on CBS. And that's going to be at 8 o'clock Chicago time. 8 o'clock Chicago time tonight. All right. All right. Got it. I've been talking about Tony Bennett and the, the great loss uh, following his death. Schwani uh, did something on the far-flung forecast today on the writers uh, of that song george Corey and douglas cross right left my heart in san francisco and may i present to you now holly the parrot uh on youtube also singing the song i left my heart in san francisco i left my heart with my friend <laughs> <laughs> one more time It's got to be fake. It has to be. It can't be real. Artificial intelligence doing a parrot. (laughs) It can't be real. (laughs) Do parrots sound like that, really? Not really. I've heard, I mean, I've heard, right, annoying, but I've never heard, like, such articulation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Maybe it is real. Oh. <laughs> All I know is that we may have a parrot sing our new Sunday morning theme song. <laughs> Taking over Soldier Field last night. Taking over Soldier Field again tonight. Seen some reviews from uh, fans that went to the show last night, and uh, they had a great time. So that she just absolutely put on an uh, amazing show. So lucky that we get her uh, for two nights here in Chicago. Uh, Shwani, I don't know if you're familiar with the single ladies video. Have you ever seen uh, the video for this song? It's in black and white, Beyonce and 
couple of dancers, you know, doing very pro- no. provocative dancing. Andy, no. have, have no. you seen the video? Seen I it. think I've seen it, yeah. yeah. They spoofed it on Saturday Night Live with, uh-huh. it was like, uh, who was it? I forget the cast members. Andy, it was Andy Samberg. I don't remember who, but it was three of the male, three of the male uh, cast members on SNL in leotards uh, spoofing the dance uh, to this song. It's hilarious. Uh, look it up on YouTube today if you want a good laugh. And uh, look for Schwanee Andy and me to do it at our Tree Time broadcast. One of the many things on the docket. We've got uh, we have got so, so many things uh, on the uh, show <laughs> planned for this year. Uh, speaking of pop culture that uh, none of our audience is going to go and see. <laughs> Uh, the well, I, I wonder about this. Really, the Barbie movie opened on Friday and has opened to a record-setting one hundred fifty-five million dollars. Hmm. That's remarkable. I saw it in Oppenheimer. Were the two biggest uh, box office draws this weekend? Those were the biggest uh, two movies for the weekend. Let me pull up the actual. No, they they were expecting. Barbie to open at about uh, just a little over a hundred million, and it's exceeded that one hundred and fifty-five million. Uh, Oppenheimer R-rated, and it's you know it's a heady historical drama. Shwani, you would love Oppenheimer. Oh, I know. I'm I'm I am going to go see yeah, it. It has to. It, you say it heady, and it has to be dark. Also, it's a little bit. Well, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's about the guy it's that invented the atomic serious. bomb. It's, it's not, very serious. It's not exactly yeah. light. No, no. lightweight uh, subject matter, but it opened at eighty million dollars. Wow, eighty million dollars. Wow. So uh, it it was a phenomenal move, uh, movie weekend. Uh, now, Shwani. If you go see the Barbie movie, I'll pay. That's <laughs> oh, how much I want good. you to go hey, see the Barbie question. movie. Here's my question on the Barbie movie. I'll what buy, is the premise of the I movie? I will even buy you popcorn. Oh, okay. And you know, that could cost $35,000 right there. With extra butter? Leave With a deposit. Extra butter-like oh. material. Now, what is the premise of the Barbie movie? Oh. What is this about? I struggled with this after I saw the movie. <laughs> It's Ryan Gosling. It's in it, Ryan right? Gosling. Yeah. He, he's Ken. Uh, Margot Robbie is Barbie uh, in the movie, and uh, it's like, how am I going to explain this movie? Because there's so much stuff coming at you in this movie. I mean, that to me, that was one of the problems with the movie. I didn't, I, I didn't hate it. It's not a bad movie, but it's so overstuffed that they they just she, the director Greta Gerwig put too much stuff in this movie. I think she just threw everything up on the wall and hoped that some things would stick. Obviously it did to the tune of 155 million dollars. <laughs> but I didn't personally care for it. But the premise Schwani it basically is this. Uh we meet Barbie in Barbie Land, which is sort of an idyllic world where everything is perfect and everything's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. And you know, everything's fine until it's not. Something happens and it's not. Okay. All right. Now and we've then, got a story. And then yeah. Barbie Well, don't make it <laughs> don't make it sound like war and peace here. <laughs> then something happens and Barbie has to go to the real world and just see the darkness of the real world in order to try to repair what has gone wrong. Okay. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. That sums it up, though. All right. That answers my question. Oh, oh, oh. and uh, also, in parentheses, 
two hours of my life I'll never get back again. <laughs> two hours of my life that's lost. You said the Oppenheimer movie is Oppenheimer's long, about amazing. three. It's three almost. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. But it's uh, it's amazing, unbelievable filmmaking. It's just my, you know, it's your taste. I have no background with Barbie. I have no interest. I have, you know, yeah, it's not the movie's not for me. But I like you, Shwani, I like a good historical oh, drama. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was fascinated. It's just Barbie's not my kind of movie. Oppenheimer is. Now, yeah. Did I hear something yesterday that there are actually people doing the double feature and well, they're calling it for. Barbenheimer? Barbenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know why you would want to go from one of yeah. those movies to the other. <laughs> just so you can say Barbenheimer, maybe. I guess. It's a lot of popcorn to eat. Yes, it is. That's all I know. That's five and a half hours, That's isn't it? a lot of roughage to take in. <laughs> um, our pal uh, Jim Gaffigan has uh, a concert coming up at the Intimate United Center, <laughs> of all places, with Jerry Seinfeld. It's one of the things that I talked to him about. One-on-one, we'll hear that conversation next. I love Jim Gaffigan. He's so funny. Uh, And through the years, we've developed uh, a nice friendship with him. Uh, So we were able to spend a little time with him the other day chatting about some things that he's got coming up. Uh, A brand new dramatic role in a new series. Uh, His upcoming concert with Jerry Seinfeld at the United Center. Uh, Pleasure to welcome back the great... Jim Gaffigan. My favorite morning show. It is my favorite, and not only be because uh, I was roommates with Larry Potash. Yep. Um, and uh, I know the real reason why he broke his arm. What, what is that? What's the real reason? Picking his nose. Oh. He picks his nose too much. Oh. See, he was. I like to have a lot of headroom. You, you do. <laughs> we can put some special effects above your head, so like a, some banners or something. When we. By the way, I'm in a steakhouse. I've made my. <laughs> I live in a steakhouse. You're at you're at the last Ponderosa, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I wondered where you were if you were at like stately Gaffigan Manor or something like that. You look like you're in the boardroom of. Uh, it is, you know, I'm here, uh, I'm at a, I'm in, I'm in the middle, it, it looks like I'm in the middle of shooting a Coen's Brothers movie, right? Where... <laughs> exactly, it sure does. Hey, uh, happy birthday to you, you just uh, celebrated a uh, birthday a few days ago. I know. Are you, are you a big know. birthday celebrator? I, I, I don't know if you would, you know, be one of these guys that love birthdays or ignore them. I, you know, I'm not a birthday person. I um, I feel the communal pressure, but I, you know, I did exactly what I wanted to do on my birthday, which is I hung out with my kids and uh, my wife, and and then you know people are a little bit nicer to you on your birthday. That's 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 what I'm looking for. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, you know, people are figuring you're one year closer to death. I should be you know nicer to this guy. There is, yeah, there is kind of like that. You look at the number, you know, me turning 29. I, I looked at it and I'm like, I can't believe I'm now going to be close to 30. Yeah. But it's all good. It's a big it's milestone. Good. It's a big milestone for you. Hey, speaking of your kids, I watched the video of you guys doing the seventh inning stretch uh, at, yeah. at Wrigley Field. 
and uh, you're, you're, you didn't quite hit the Mike Ditka standard of being off key while you were singing. You had, you had a little Harry Carey enthusiasm, but what I really yeah, noticed was you, you're, you were had brought your kids up to the booth with you and then completely ignored them the whole time. Well, I am, uh, you know, I'm a comedian and an actor, but I am not a singer. And <laughs> having grown up, uh, you know, and watch so many seventh inning stretches uh, with Harry Carey. I couldn't have passed it up, but it is, I'm not somebody like karaoke. That's not something I do. And so, yeah, I just was, you know, the throwing out the pitch and then the seventh inning stretch uh, is all about, um, you know, trying to avoid disaster. And so I feel like I avoided disaster, which is mission accomplished. But growing up in the Chicagoland area, you can't pass up that opportunity. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yep. And, you know, like when I was a little kid, it was even Harry Carey was doing the White Sox. He was, you know, it was Jack Brickhouse. So it was, um, you know, the whole kind of Cubs experience. It's like way before lights. You know what I mean? Like I remember right. having t-shirts that no lights in Wrigley and stuff like that. So it was some of nostalgia, but it was, and also I got an opportunity to bring a bunch of my siblings and their kids to the game. So it was amazing, but it was, it was nerve wracking. You know, it's like, you don't want to throw that first pitch. Right. You don't want to like, 50 cent and you know missed the yep. you know barn yeah that's spoken like a, a true uh, hometown boy and uh, jim of course grew up in northwest indiana and clearly has uh, memories of harry carey and uh, jack brickhouse and uh, all things uh, cubs one of the things that we're looking forward to is jim coming back uh, this coming november to do a show with one of uh, another of one of the greatest uh, stand-up comedians of all time. Hey, we've been talking about right. this tour that you're going to be doing with Jerry Seinfeld coming to the intimate uh, United Center, uh, coming to this show. This sounds super exciting. And the number one thing that everybody's asking me about this is who opens for who? Well, you know, this touring with Jerry and, and going to Chicago is... Um, you know, it's really, I see it as an opportunity for me to help this struggling comedian. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like people don't know who Jerry Seinfeld is. It's, well, you know, we have not figured it out, but even before the pandemic, we had in, you know, I live in New York City and so does Jerry, and we would meet up at this club here in New York called uh, Gotham Comedy Club, and we would do sets, and then we would hang out and obsess talking about comedy. And so we had kind of talked about eventually doing this, and so we picked four different markets, but we have yet to figure out... I mean, Jerry at one point had talked about us singing a song, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but, you know, with Jerry, you know it would be a special event, and they, they added a show, which is very exciting, and so it is, and we're only doing it in Chicago and San Francisco and St. Louis and L.A. So it is going to be a special event. But, like, I, I know with Jerry, he's, you know, there's going to be, 
we've got some time to figure out to make it a really special event, so it'll be fun. It's going to be uh, November 9th and 10th, by the way. Plus, you've got a new uh, special that'll be dropping on Amazon Prime on uh, July 25th uh, called Dark Pale, obviously named after your uh, complexion. Yes. Well, Dark Pale, uh, you know, I think... We've all gone through so much in the past couple of years that I think there's a cynicism and maybe a nihilism that exists among us that didn't exist prior to the past four years. And so I think that, or, or should I say six or eight years, it's just been such, there's just been, we, we just, the you know, watching the news for the past six years has just been uh, this incredible impact. So, and some of the material is a little darker and, you know, the opposite of pale is dark. So it's, uh, you know, with each of my specials, I try and uh, not reinvent myself, but, you know, I don't want to repeat myself. So I'm kind of dealing with some maybe darker stuff but, uh, you know, I toured around with it and, you know, crowds loved it. So I'm, I'm excited and it's going to be on Amazon. I, you know, you know, the last special was on Netflix. So now I'll have uh, six specials on Netflix and four on Amazon. So wow. um, it's weird. I never imagined that I would uh, be you know, doing a 10 special, but I'm thrilled to do it. That's that's awesome. And I know also you've got uh, this uh, mini series that's going to be coming up on Max that is uh, called Full Circle. Uh, and also you're going to be in a movie that Jerry Seinfeld is directing, so, sort of about uh, like serial wars, uh, Kellogg's yes. versus Post, I think. Uh, how, yes. perf- how perfect for you to be involved in a food movie, right? Yes, right. It's 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 all about the invention of the pop tart, and um, I play Edsel Kellogg, uh, who's the boss of Jerry Seinfeld, and it's a fictionalized, uh, hopefully very funny uh, take on the creation of the pop tart. So some of it's factual. I mean, Jerry wrote it with a bunch of Seinfeld guys, and. Um, and so, yeah, we shot it last summer, and that should be coming out this fall. And the uh, full circle is this Steven Soderbergh six-episode miniseries. Uh, it's kind of a crime thriller, which is about a kidnapping that goes kind of awry. And I play uh, Zazie Beetz's uh, boss, and I'm, I'm not necessarily a great guy, but uh, I think I'm a good guy. But um, and then uh, and then linoleum's on uh, Hulu, so uh, people can also check that out. So. I, I love uh, watching your acting projects; they're always interesting, always uh, super provocative. When you're in Chicago with uh, Seinfeld, maybe we can get together. Maybe we can get your old uh, roommate uh, Larry Potash and Robin, yes. and uh, you know we can go over to uh, Murphy's Bleachers or something and. Right. Hang, hang out uh, a little bit together. Well, we know Robin will be getting drunk if we do uh, that. Yeah, you know, so. you, we, we, you learn to expect certain things from people. Jim, it's, no, but that would be fun. It would be, uh, it would be great to see you. Uh, Dark Pale, Amazon Prime, July 25th. 
and uh, we'll uh, put all the information up on the screen. It's always great to catch up with our pal. Thanks, Jim. Thank you to everyone uh, at WGN Morning Show. I love it's America's number one morning show <laughs> in my heart. I love when you start drinking early in the day like this. I appreciate that. With such a beautiful song that we know from the original animated version of Beauty and the Beast and then the live action version that came uh, after that. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is back in Chicago being performed at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater now through August the 20th once a year the Shakespeare Theater does a non-Shakespearean production uh, mostly for the kids they're usually family oriented shows that uh, come in and are absolutely delightful to see on that uh, thrust stage the stage that kind of goes right out into the audience uh, so you really feel up close and personal with the uh, action that we uh, they are uh, presenting uh, Jason Michael Evans plays Beast in the show, and Audrey Hare is Belle. Uh, Jason hopefully will be joining us in uh, a moment, but always uh, very delightful to have Belle on the line with us to talk about the show. Audrey, thank you for joining us. Welcome to WGN. Hi, Dean. Thank you for having me. So, how much? Yeah, how much fun is it to be a part of this classic show at this? Uh, absolutely phenomenal theater on the lake it is such a dream come true um i grew up in chicago so i've been attending chicago shakespeare theater shows since i was young and beauty and the beast was my first broadway show so it feels like a big full circle moment for me oh so Um, you're you're returning to uh, beauty and the beast then huh Oh, yes. Instead of sitting in the audience in my bell dress, I now get to walk down the stairs in it. So it is very magical. I can imagine. I mean, do you have uh, do you have a lot of that? The kids uh, who are showing up in costumes and, you know, really living uh, the whole princess uh, role out uh, to the fullest? Oh, yes. We have so many um, young kids in costumes. Um, and at the end of the show, I get to finally see them at bows and wave at them from the stage um which is so special boy that's got to be a a thrill i would think for the kids but uh, i'll bet very gratifying to you as well having been there not that long ago and you know being 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 on the other side of it uh not too long ago yes a lot of this um the show is the kids first time seeing a show um so i remember having such a big impact on me when I was that age and it's the reason I have continued to do theater my whole life um ultimately leading me to Beauty and the Beast at Chicago Shakespeare so it really is like a monumental moment for a lot of kids when they see those magical characters on stage for the first time oh it's it's got to be uh, amazing I haven't uh, been able to come over and see the show yet but I sure want to because I've I've I loved the original movies, I've loved other productions of this. Uh, it's such a great show. How do, how do you describe your show? Uh, I know it's a seventy five minute uh, adaptation, which is perfect for families. Um, but uh, all the bells and whistles and costumes and it's all there, right? Oh yes. I mean, when you come to see the show, you are getting a high quality production with an amazing cast, um, 
that just oozes talent and determination, um, and you are really getting Broadway quality uh, performances that, in the thrust stage, are coming right to you. Um, so you really get a, a personal experience as well. It's fun for all ages. There are a lot of um, great motifs and themes within the show that can, of course, connect with um, younger audiences, but older audiences as well. Um, we have many people coming up to us after the show describing how much they relate to it. And even though it's, you know, a Disney family-friendly show, there are a lot of deep themes in it that um, everyone can relate to. Yeah, we're going to hear one of the signature songs from the show in its entirety in uh, just a moment. Do you have favorite moments in the show as a performer, uh, certain scenes that you cannot wait to perform? Oh, I love Be Our Guest. Um, That is a fan favorite as well. Uh, We have so many magic moments in that production number um, that are very special. And the costumes are just exquisite. Um, And I love singing the song Home, which is Belle's um, main song in the show. Um, I relate to it so deeply and... That is also so special yeah. for me. We're, we're going to hear uh, Be Our Guest. That's the song that we're going to play in, in its entirety in, in just a moment. But I wondered about some of those, you know, the personal songs, the, uh, the, the you know, I guess you might say non-signature songs of the show that are uh, very personal and about Belle's struggle trying to get back home, which are very relatable songs to, you know, people who may not be at home right now, may be missing some place or something. Uh, those are the ones I would think that have to really ring true for a lot of people. Yes, I agree. I think the show really touches on how love is about making sacrifices. Um, Belle makes the sacrifice of herself for her father in the dungeon to let her father go. Um, and at the end of the show, the beast learns to make the sacrifice of letting Belle go to go back home and help her father. Um, so I think the message of love is about making sacrifices um, is rings very true. Yeah, you pretty much can't go wrong with Ellen uh, uh, Menken and Howard Ashman and Tim Rice music. Uh, you know, uh, for, for be- beautiful songs, but uh, this the wonderful book, the wonderful story, uh, coupled with all of these songs and the creativity that they put into all of their shows at the uh, Shakespeare Theater. I'm glad you mentioned that thrust stage, as I did. I think that might be my favorite uh, stage in Chicago, my favorite uh, you know venue to see a show because it's uh, while while traditional uh, to Shakespearean shows. It's very unusual to have a stage that juts out into the audience where it's not really in the round at all. But you are if you're on on that stage, you're surrounded by audience members. How does that affect your performance? It makes it um, so much more. um, It feels like it's one big community each show. because each audience is going to be different and each audience connects with each other when they 
all are seated around each other. So it really creates a blend of actors and audience to really create um, a universal experience um, for 75 minutes and there's no intermission. So once the story starts, you are seated and experiencing it and it is a, a perfect um, venue specifically for the kids when they feel like the actors are going through the aisles and they can almost touch them. They're so close. Um, it's such a special experience and it's something that I remember so significantly when I went to go see the shows when I was younger. Yeah, it's pretty special when you can uh, you know, just feel like you can reach out and touch the performers. Uh, for heaven's sakes, don't do that. There's been <laughs> there's been uh, too many cases of concerts lately where people uh, have been reaching out and uh, doing other things, which we don't want to encourage in any way. But it's great that you can make that special connection uh, when you're doing a performance, uh, especially, as you said, for uh, kids who may be seeing their first show ever uh, to be able to experience this is uh, uh, quite the treat, I would think. Yes, I agree. And so, it also talks about um, a human connection and how we can all connect um, despite all of our differences. Yeah. Uh, well, the show is uh, over at the uh, Chicago Shakespeare Theater on Navy Pier at their Courtyard Theater. Uh, it's going to be there through August the 20th, so you've got uh, you know plenty of time to go see it. But uh, make those reservations uh, and get your tickets to see uh, what will be a, a delightful 75 minutes for you and the kids uh, by going to chicagoshakes.com, chicagoshakes.com, or by calling 312-595-5600. Uh, I don't know what happened to your beast today, Audrey. Jason uh, Michael Evans, who was supposed to join us, he must be in that uh, castle someplace. I'm not sure. Uh, he might be watching the the rose petals. Yeah, he's watching fall. the rose petals fall <laughs> off, right? You know, very, very worried. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry we weren't able to uh, talk with him today. Sorry, he's MIA, but I'm glad we could spend uh, a little more time with you. And uh, I wanted to feature one of the songs uh, recorded right from the stage of the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, uh, the classic Be My Guest. Audrey Hare, who plays Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you have a great Sunday today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Ma chère mademoiselle. Good night, love. I wanted to throw in the Angela Lansbury uh, version also from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, The title song, uh, so beautiful. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is being performed at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater right now. And uh, that will be going on until August the 20th. You can get ticket info at chicagoshakes.com. Easy to remember. chicagoshakes.com or 312-595-5600. And once again, thank you, uh, Audrey Hare, who plays uh, Belle in this uh, particular production. And I hope her castmate, Jason Michael Evans, missing in action, uh, was supposed to join us this morning. I hope he's okay. Um, coming up in uh, our next hour, we're going to get to some big-time A-list interviews. 
Uh, not that the ones that we've had so far were uh, not big-time A-list interviews, but we've got uh, the star of uh, one of the top movies in America right now, Killian uh, uh, Murphy, rather, uh, the Irish actor, plays Robert, Robert Oppenheimer. I mean, he completely transforms into Robert Oppenheimer in this film. It's an Oscar-worthy performance. Uh, we'll hear from him, my one-on-one interview when I was in uh, New York and talked with him. This was before the actor's strike, so they were still able to do interviews then. And we also sat down with two of the co-stars of Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt, who plays uh, Oppenheimer's uh, wife, and Matt Damon, who plays the general, uh, who was uh, you know uh, very, very influential in developing uh, the uh, atomic bomb anyway, worked hand-in-hand with Oppenheimer in the development of the the bomb itself. So we'll get to all of that and so much more coming up. I'll talk a a little bit more about the Barbie movie. As I had mentioned, both on television and a little bit here uh, this morning, uh, I wasn't crazy about the Barbie movie. I know I'm not the target audience for this, uh, but uh, I just thought the movie was overstuffed and... Uh, kind of meandered all over the place. There was so much. The, the, the To me, the writing wasn't focused. It's a beautiful film. It's a very pink film. I don't think I've ever seen a pinker film. Uh, but uh, it broke all kinds of records. People who uh, went to see it this weekend uh, at $155 million, which is phenomenal. So we'll talk more about that and Oppenheimer all still coming right up. It's going to be a gorgeous day out uh, today, it looks like, for the most part. May get some rain later on, as Shwani has been reporting. But, uh, Shwani, you got to be careful out in this, uh, you know, when you're out in the out of doors uh, this time of year. Heat exhaustion, sunstroke, uh, insects. Yeah. Got to be careful. All of the all above. That. That's yeah. right. As, and, and also, uh, you know, the sun uh, applying uh, sunscreen. Always a very good idea. I'm sure Dr. Most would concur. And staying hydrated. Drink plenty of water. Well, it's for that reason that we uh, present to you. This is an annual event on the show. Uh, and it's, it's, oh, it is? <laughs> it's a favorite of the three of us <laughs> where we check each other for ticks. Shwani volunteered to go first, by the way. I forgot about this. Shwani loves being checked for ticks. I've never seen a person who gets so excited. But while we do this here, you should also check yourselves at home uh, for ticks. Not a lot of stations provide this service, but... You know, you just go through uh, your... No pictures. No pictures. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, you can take pictures. No, 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 no. The medical experts want you to take pictures so they can see what variety of tick you may have been bitten by. So I'm sorry. Uh, you, <laughs> I know you don't want any pictures of this, but I'm sworn, by, three. <laughs> I'm sworn by my Hippocratic Oath to uh, take some pictures of your ticks. If you'll <laughs> excuse me, Brett. Okay, I recommend they recommend here join join along with us while we do this where you go through, uh, you know, the hair. That's where that's where they live. Uh, You go through there with a tweezers. And if you if you find one, the recommendation by experts is to get the tick by its head as close to the skin as possible and pull it straight out. Don't twist. 
because the part that's biting you still could be uh, in the skin. And they say another thing to do is to uh, just drown it with hand sanitizer or rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. The sanitizers that we used uh, at the height of COVID would work right, on that. Right, all those extra bottles that you were mm-hmm. hoarding. I still have a few at home, actually. <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. So, Juani, uh, if you'll just get up on this table during the break. <laughs> like a billion views of this song on YouTube, the Barbie Girl song from back in the day, which interestingly is not used in the new Barbie movie. Uh, you know, they have their own uh, original music in the, the film, which uh, has uh, smashing box office records this weekend. And people have been going in droves. I've heard uh, pluses and minuses once people have gone to see the movie. Some people loved it, and some people agree with me. Um, you know, what the heck is this mess? Uh, so, you know, uh, all, all reviews are valid. Everyone's opinions are valid, but uh, no question. It is a box office behemoth. Uh, the Oppenheimer film, uh, also doing phenomenal uh, box office business with $80 million. That's pretty amazing for a three-hour film, an R-rated three-hour film. Uh, we'll talk with its stars Killian Murphy, who plays Robert Oppenheimer. We've got the Chicago exclusive radio interview with him coming up uh, in uh, just a little while. But uh, Andy has been uh, reporting on the induction of our uh, pal uh, Pat Hughes into uh, Baseball's Hall of Fame, the Ford C. Frick Award. That's the, that's the award which is given out, the Hall of Fame Award, right, for broadcasters. Correct. For jur- journalists, I should say, uh, right? actually, I think it's broadcasters. There's another one for uh, for journalists. For uh, print journalists? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, uh, man, could there be anybody uh, more deserving, more uh, just, a, you know, an outstanding broadcaster through and through ever, oh, yeah. ever since – he was first introduced here on uh, WGN uh, as part of the the Pat and Ron Santo team, uh, which uh, you know, I'll, for, for my money, still the greatest, <laughs> still the greatest, still the greatest uh, broadcast team ever. Uh, we're going to play a little clip of that in a minute, but I wanted to uh, play a clip of part of Pat's induction speech yesterday. Because uh, he thanked a lot of people. I mean, that's the the thing about Pat being so eloquent and gracious. He made this about everybody around him. Uh, Instead of being me, 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 I, 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 he thanked everyone around him who contributed, uh, including one Mr. Andy Maser. A thank you to all the other people I've worked with and shared a microphone with over the years. Currently, the talented Zach Zaidman is the third man in our Cubs radio booth. Zach is a joy to work with. Other third men on Cubs radio have included Andy Mazur, Corey Provis, now a prominent announcer with the Minnesota Twins, Judd Surratt, the radio play-by-play man of the NHL Boston Bruins, and Mark Brody. And I've also enjoyed many on-the-air moments with guys like Bruce Levine, and Len Casper, among others. Yeah, he. I've uh, worked with some of the best. Just, you know, as I just <laughs> went on and on about, you know, everyone who contributed. Uh, but uh, Pat was the ringmaster of it all. You know, that I think that was the the key to his success. Yeah, and you know, I I didn't realize how much I had picked up from him uh, when I went on to San Diego to to uh, to broadcast Padres games. You did play by play. Yeah, and I heard myself saying some things that I. had 
you know, had heard from Pat. You know, the, the self-deprecation really worked for, worked for him because of all the, the folks that he has worked with over the years. He was with Bob Uecker and, and, of course, before right. he came to Chicago. And then working with Ronnie, I mean, Ronnie uh, Santo was, was an absolute icon and a legend before uh, he even stepped into the booth. People knew who he was from his, from his playing days and everything. And I think that Pat really handled it so well, just kind of uh, assimilating himself into the broadcast and and letting Ronnie really shine and and, and be the uh, be the guy. And I think people really appreciated that because there's a, a love of Pat because of how he took care of Ron and how he took care of uh, of the broadcast at that point because. Let's face it, Ronnie made mistakes. Uh, no. And, you know, and Ronnie would uh, kind of go off script and off topic uh, several times. And <laughs> there's a game to be broadcast. Obviously, you want to have some fun, but you still need to let the, let the listeners know what's going on in the game. And Pat was so skillful in being able to, to steer the boat back on course. Right. And yet allow Ron to be Ron and, and still have a lot of fun. So yeah. th- that's, it's, people don't understand how difficult that is. Uh, in his position, to be able to call a baseball game, a Major League Baseball game, no less, and still have command of the broadcast, even though there are things going on around him that uh, you know kind of detract from it and take away from it, but he, he managed to do it, and it's uh, it's a skill. It's a it's a skill, and uh, nobody is more masterful at it uh, than than Pat Hughes. Uh, I know you feel the same way. I do too. You, you knew him way more than i did but he was you know constantly in our hallways at wgn recording commercials and you know different events so i was very lucky that i uh, you know got to strike up a friendship uh with him as well uh as i mentioned a little earlier you know i'm not i'm not the biggest uh sports fan in, in the world i don't think that's a shock to anybody but i would put that radio on every day when pat and ron santo were on <laughs> Because that was just some of the most entertaining uh, comedy. <laughs> it was gold. <laughs> but it, as you say, it was the love between these two yeah. guys. As, as Ronnie's illness became more prevalent, uh, you know, it was Pat's love and caring for Ron Santo at the same time. But you you cannot buy uh, moments like this. Strike three, one away. He, he had a hard time laying off bad balls. He would chase high fastballs and low breaking balls time after time after time, and that really held him back, Ron. The breaking ball, I'm only eating a hot dog right now. I, I can't even tell you're eating. Uh, the breaking ball got him a lot. Here it's a 6-6 tie in the fourth. Johnson 0 for 1. And the pitch high for a ball. Some fan just jumped into our booth and grabbed a microphone, and you may have heard that hiccup sound. Get out of here, will you? Those fans. Oh, that was not a fan? No. Oh, I'm sorry. That was you, Ron? I beg your pardon. I couldn't help it. I just got... You almost couldn't hear it. Here is the 1-0 pitch on the way. This is off the subject that we were on. I happened to be watching ESPN and the Marlins game, which was a pretty good ball game. Yes. And, and they had a shot of Jeff Torberg. Here's the 1-1 pitch to Roosevelt. Outside corner call strike, 1-2. and two. Flossing. Jeff just Torborg. Flossing. Flossing his teeth. I mean, flossing. And then, you know, just flipping it, floss. I mean... 
very rude. I, I believe everybody should floss, but in private. It's like you. You notice I haven't flossed anymore up here because that's embarrassing. Here's the one-two to Brown. Swung on a chop foul. Cubs baseball brought to you by the American Dental Association. <laughs> and you like to flo floss. And you do it up here in the booth. And you do it facing me. So whatever you're flossing gets on my trousers. <laughs> do you understand what I mean? Just little small chunks of fish. No big deal. <laughs> one ball and two strikes on Brown. Oh, those guys were just... And I've noticed that. Like, he started building... <laughs> Those guys were the greatest. The floss was was awesome because there, oh, there was one game. There was hilarious. one game where Ronnie put the headphones on, and there was a piece of floss hanging from one of the ear cups, <laughs> straddling the microphone. He didn't know it, and we all saw it. And obviously, we were trying to tell him without really telling him to make him discover it on his own. But yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like I said, it just it was just so organic and, oh and just kind of happened from. From some of the things that Ron would do that he thought was just normal everyday stuff. I don't, I don't care whatever else you may do in your career, Andy. Yep. It will never match no. the time that you spent with uh, Pat and Ron. Ugh. And I mean, Ron didn't he didn't he send you once to his hotel room to get a, oh, a, a toupee? I I had to go to Ronnie's hotel room for several items. Um, the the toupee was the, the the epic one was in St. Louis when he couldn't find the toupee. In his hotel room, and he and summoned me to come and help him search. So I was searching, and he was talking to his grandson on the phone, and we were you know, looking in the shower, we were looking under the bed, looking between the sheets, and blah, blah, blah. And I walked over while he was on the phone. I walked over to his desk, and there was a, a Federal Express box that had come from the Cubs, because the, the next homestand, 500 lucky fans were getting an autographed picture of Ron. And attached to the box, it looked like a, like a small squirrel. <laughs> Um, that was affixed to the to the box, and you know normally you would probably take the hairpiece and give it to him. I gave him the box because I didn't want to touch it. Oh, he was laughing so hard. He was laughing. I had to go. I had to go one time to. to uh, he, he told me that his hotel room number, and it was the wrong room to mm. get a to get a jacket. The, the bus is getting ready to leave. Don Baylor was the manager at that point, and I, I had to start getting my mindset around Ronnie. I, f I figured, okay, he probably saw that room number on his way. You know, to the elevator. So right. I checked all the rooms around it, and sure enough, it was two doors down. <laughs> I got his jacket. Yeah, I mean, Ronnie Ron Santo, one in a million. I mean, the sweetest guy ever, oh, yeah. the nicest guy ever. Uh, I can't even tell you how how cordial and wonderful that he was to me, uh, and and I know to you and yeah. really everybody that surrounded him. But the point of this whole thing is that Pat Hughes. Uh, earned his place in the Baseball Hall of yes, Fame. Yes, he did. Being able to negotiate all of that, and as you say, kind of bring the ringmaster. He knew which buttons to push mm -hmm. to set Ronnie off. He knew when he needed to you know, focus uh, on something else. Uh, masterful, 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 masterful uh, broadcasting. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that can do it. I mean, it seems like it's easy, uh, but I invite you to try it uh, when you're when you're working with loose cannons. I mean, <laughs> let's face it, Ronnie was a loose cannon when right. it came to, uh, you know, there was not a lot of filter, and uh, it was it was great. Sometimes he was wouldn't talk a lot because the Cubs were losing, and you have to figure out a mad. way. Yeah, yeah, you have to figure out a way to get him back into the broadcast Drawing because back, right? yeah, because that's what people are are tuning in for. I mean, obviously his emotions took the you know took the the, the best of him at some times, but um, yeah, I mean it's just a masterful job and it's, it's such a well deserved honor. 
and you know, twenty seven years with the Cubs. Yeah. He's seen a lot. You Is know, twenty seven years really. Yeah, wow. nineteen ninety six, I believe, was his first uh, his first year with the team. Yeah. I, I was the one that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when they made the announcement that Pat Hughes was joining the Cubs as a play-by-play announcer, they made the announcement at some fancy hotel and then brought Pat. I, I don't remember if it was Pat and Ron or just Pat, but they brought Pat to the radio station, to Tribune Tower. And uh, I happened to be filling in for Kathy and Judy, I think, and introduced, here's our new play-by-play guy, Pat Hughes, and we had... A nice little conversation. So I think that's probably why he thanked me and in his uh, induction speech yesterday. Shawnee, as it turns out, uh, you did have an impact uh, on his career and life because I did. It turns out that uh, he also thanked you. you a thank you to all the other people I've worked with and shared a microphone with over the years. Currently, the talented Dean Richards is the third man in our Cubs radio booth. Dean is a joy to work with. Other third men on Cubs Radio have included Andy Mazur, Gabe Schwan, and Dean Richards. And I've also enjoyed many on-the-air moments with guys like Gabe Schwan and Dean Richards, among others. I've worked with some of the best engineers in the country and production people, including Gabe Schwan in Milwaukee <laughs> and in Chicago. Dean Richards and Gabe Schwan, and on the production side, Dean Richards and Gabe Schwan. Thanks to all of you. <laughs> That's better than bleeps out news. <laughs> oh my! So thank you, thank you, Pat, for recognizing our role. Because a lot of people think that we didn't have squat to do with the, with the broadcast, but uh, here you hear it from the man himself. Oh, uh, you know what? Of the influence that we you know had what? on his on induction his into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Ford C. Frick Award. <laughs> but what? <laughs> Be careful sound, how you say sound, that. It does sound like it. We're, we're that getting, was one, great. And, that yeah, was well, great. All we can say is, Pat, thank you so much for our well-deserved honor. It's 1128, and uh, we always thank you very much for listening on Sunday morning. Thank you for all the very nice uh, comments and texts that we get. Uh, people who look forward to Sunday morning having a few laughs with us. We uh, enjoy uh, being here with you as well. Still to come for you, we've got our food time segment today. Summertime desserts on the menu today. I've got a couple of recipes and uh, I'm hopefully you can share some with us. Plus, what are some of the top uh, restaurants in the Chicago area uh, based on their wine selections? Wine Spectator magazine has just put out uh, a new issue in which they rate uh, the best wine restaurants, not restaurants that serve exclusively wine, but, you know, ones that have uh, terrific wine uh, options for you. And many of them are here in the Chicago area. So we're going to run down that list uh, as well as we uh, continue with the program today. Also, I don't know if uh, some of you are into Shark Week. I never thought that I would be, but uh, it's a little bit addictive watching these real-life documentaries, basically, about uh, people who hunt sharks, who, you know, go go after sharks, who are not going after sharks, but encounter them. And some of these crazy movies that have come out, these Sharknado movies uh, that have come out uh, through the years that are absolutely rip-roaringly hilarious. 
Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Shark Week uh, still to come uh, on the program. But uh, after the news, we'll get to our A-list interviews for today. They don't get much bigger than the stars of Oppenheimer, one of the top movies at the box office for the weekend. Killian Murphy is Robert Oppenheimer. He co-stars with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. I will be talking with uh, Ken Jeong and John Chu. Uh, Also, we'll uh, share the Jim Gaffigan interview. If you missed it earlier, we're going to run it uh, Tuesday on WGN-TV Morning News. And uh, tomorrow morning, actually, we'll be uh, playing my one-on-one interview with uh, Killian Murphy. Killian Murphy, who you undoubtedly know from uh, lots of different television and movie projects. Uh, Movies uh, and projects like uh, Peaky Blinders. He's been in uh, about 10 different uh, Christopher Nolan movies. The director who gave us The Dark Knight and Tenant and Inception uh, and, you know, many others of, uh, you know, those kind of movies. He was in Batman Begins. He was in uh, Mr. Man. Uh, Killian Murphy is just, uh, I've, I've always said, uh, one of the most underrated and uh, incredibly talented performers. There is no doubt in my mind that he is going to be nominated for an Academy Perf- uh, Award for his performance as Robert Oppenheimer in the uh, drama Oppenheimer, the uh, story of the man who invented the atomic bomb, uh, basically ending World War II. But as this movie uh, projects and implies, uh, it not only uh, ends World War II, but creates uh, a whole new threat, a whole new worldwide threat. Uh, And this movie uh, deals with the time before the development of the bomb and the consequences, personal and professional, of uh, what happened after the development and detonating of the atomic bomb uh, in Japan. Uh, It's a fascinating movie, incredible performances, beautifully uh, filmed, as Christopher Nolan always does. He shot the movie uh, with IMAX cameras uh, designed to specifically be shown on IMAX screens, true IMAX screens, which... Unfortunately, we don't have here in the Chicago area. So with my Dean's List A on this movie comes a recommendation. See it on as big a screen as you possibly can. Uh, That uh, screen that uh, I showed you on television a couple of weeks ago in Batavia that is the size of an NBA basketball court. The screen is the size of an NBA basketball court. Uh, that's the ideal screen to see this movie on in this uh, Chicago area. But as big a screen as you possibly can is my recommendation for this phenomenal movie that also features phenomenal uh, performances. Uh, last week, we played our one-on-one interview with the director, Christopher Nolan. And this week, we've got some of the supporting characters and the man himself who transforms into Robert Oppenheimer Killian Murphy, who talked to me a little bit about uh, taking on this role, not only in a physical sense, he looks just like the real Oppenheimer, but taking on this uh, role with every fiber of his being. Well, Chris called me in September 21 
and then he flew over from LA to Dublin to give me the script. So I had from September 21 till February 22 when we started shooting. So I had six months more or less. Uh, and then it was a long process because there's so much stuff available, you know, online, <clears throat> so many books, so much archival material about Oppenheimer. So I just dove into it. Uh, um, and then obviously there was the script. And then I flew out and back to, to L.A. and we did a lot of camera tests and makeup tests and costume tests, trying to get that silhouette and look right. So it was a, it was a long process, but a very uh, stimulating one. Is it more daunting for you as an actor to play a, a real person as opposed to somebody fictional? I think there's a level of responsibility that comes with that for sure. Um, particularly with this character because he's so iconic, you know, and uh, what happened in 45 changed the world. And uh, so there, there is a level of responsibility. But you kind of have to shake it off after a while and just go after it and go and serve the script. That's your, I suppose, your, your you know, that's your obligation, the yeah. most important one. What is... Uh What's the Christopher Nolan experience like for you as a director? I mean, you're one of, I don't know exactly call you one of his regulars, but yeah. you've had a little more experience than many others. Um, he's the best. I mean, he's, he's kind of phenomenal. He's, he's one in a million. I think he's, he may be the perfect director. You know, he can, he's, he's brilliant with actors. He's a brilliant writer. He's amazing visually. He tells stories unlike anybody else, and he tells them on this huge canvas, but yet they're really emotionally engaging. Um, you know, I, I, I started working with Chris twenty years ago, so it's it's been a massive part of my um, part of my life, and this is our sixth picture together. It's probably a little shorthand between you, I would guess. That's it. That's right? what you get from recollaboration is that shorthand, that trust. Trust is the most important one. Mm. You know, I, I really trust him, and I and I hope he feels the same about me. And so it means you go straight to the work. You don't have to talk about any other stuff or get to know each other any small talk is just straight to the work and that's that really helps yeah do you think there are uh, some lessons to be had in addition to learning about Oppenheimer himself some lessons to be learned uh, for those of us today that are worried about you know nuclear war mm -hmm. uh, the arms race uh, the possibility of all of this what it means today yeah um, I actually believe that films should ask the questions and not give the answers. And I think this is what the f film does. It's not prescriptive, but it does provoke. And, 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 and I'm very proud of that because it's entertaining, but it makes you think. Yeah, he is from uh, Cork uh, in Ireland. Uh, very charming, uh, very uh, almost a little shy when you meet him uh, in person. But yeah, he is going to have a very, very busy year because there's no doubt uh, he is in one of the best movies of the year, possibly the best movie of the year, uh, the kind of movie that Oscar loves. Uh, and his performance uh, is easily, hands above uh, just about anything else that I've seen this year. I can't think of anything else that tops it. Uh, he is uh, Killian. That's how you say his name, C-I-L-L-I-A-N, Killian Murphy, who plays Robert Oppenheimer. And when we come back, a couple of his supporting uh, actors, Emily Blunt and Matt Damon, next Chicago Radio's only cooking and dining shows coming up after 12 o'clock today. We'll dig into some tasty morsels. 
talking about the movies, though, for this weekend. Uh, easily the number one movie of the weekend, amazingly, to me at least anyway, is uh, the Barbie movie. $155 million at the box office. That's rather unprecedented and record-setting. Uh, a lot of people had a lot of interest in it. Uh, I have to say that the feedback that I get in every weekend, uh, I get uh, I, I, I get tons of feedback from people who hear my reviews on Bob Siracho on Friday, hear, hear or see my reviews on uh, WGN television. And some people agree and some people don't. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. Uh, as the great Roy Leonard used to say, that's why Baskin-Robbins makes 31 flavors. There's something for everyone out there. And I uh, completely respect that. Uh, some people uh, liked it way better than me. Some people pretty much agreed with me that it was uh, just a whole lot of overload and not really much point to it. Some people just out, down, out and out hated it. Uh, but there was a lot of curiosity, and people didn't mind spending money to go see that movie. But what's uh, kind of remarkable also is that the movie Oppenheimer, which is an R-rated movie, is a three-hour movie and is some pretty heavy subject matter, took in $80 million. That hardly ever happens. So um, it was a kind of a remarkable weekend at the uh, at the box office uh, all the way around. Uh, my, I, I gave Barbie a Dean's List C. I gave Oppenheimer a Dean's List A. It's just more, you know, my kind of movie. Uh, and uh, I enjoyed uh, talking with all of the stars in New York uh, before the strike took place. Uh, so they were still able to do interviews at that point, and that included uh, Emily Blunt, who plays Oppenheimer's wife in the movie, and Matt Damon, who plays uh, a general in the movie, who was uh, very much a part of the development of the first atomic bomb. And one of the things that uh, I talked about with them both was uh, taking uh, the th these real-life uh, characters and uh, breathing some cinematic life into them. Um, I mean, there was so much to mine from, you know, in American Prometheus and then in Chris's script, which was so alive and transporting in itself. What a great character he wrote for me to play. I mean, I couldn't stop thinking that when I first read it. She was just such a force. And... Yes, in the book, there's all kinds of beautiful little details that you can draw from. Ultimately, it will always be my version of her. Someone else might have wanted to play her differently. I did want to honor her and how she was depicted in the book and in the script, but I didn't see recordings of her. I don't know how she spoke. I don't know. So ultimately, it will sort of transcend into something that's just yours, but I do love the details you know, that you can get from someone. And that you so engage with and j jumps off the screen, Matt. Same yeah, in your it, character as well. Well, and you say, you know, all right, well, there's a reason you cast me. Um, you know, uh, you know what, what is it that you need from this role? Like, Chris was very, he's very, one of the many things that makes him such a good director is he's very good at communicating mm. what it is he's, he's, he's after. He also goes to the person he wants to cast. Like, right. they, I don't think he sort of 
has casts a wide net of like she could be good or she or she or she no, or he or he like right. he's, he's like he's I want written Matt. it and he's yeah, like got a couple people probably in mind that could potentially do it and then he just goes and I think people always say yes so. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but I don't no, think he I don't needs think so. more than two people. Christopher Nolan, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. not pass. Uh, <laughs> but he he he's very good about uh, you know going, and he was very clear from from the from the moment he started talking to me about it. This is this movie. You know, I read the script and it was all written in the first person, which I'd never so seen before. Exciting. Which was like written through Oppenheimer's eyes. So rather than Oppenheimer crosses to the other side of the room, it's I walk to the other side of the room, and it's like and it's like so immediately impulsive it's, and it's, it's in the present tense, and yeah. it's and it's in the first person. You're going whoa, whoa. Um, and so he knew he wanted Killian, and he had cast Killian, and he said that this entire thing is going on Killian's back, and the movie works or doesn't work. If you know, it's not a history lesson, right? There's a lot of stuff people can will learn and, and find fascinating, but this movie works or doesn't based on whether or not we go with Killian. And so I need the other actors in this movie absolutely in support of that effort. And I was like, I totally get it, um, you know. And so it was then breaking it down scene to scene, day to day as we were working. Okay, how how can I help you here? How can I help you there? And um, you know, it was about supporting. And he was like, you can wear a mustache. That's what you can do to support. I was like, I will do anything but that. <laughs> <laughs> and then no, he was like, I'm no, no, you will. Mustache person. <laughs> you, you say it's not a history lesson, but you can't help focus <clears throat> on the history of all of this and yeah. the right. relevance that this movie, the lesson that you take out of this, yeah. and how it applies applies to the world that we're living in today, don't you think? Well, for yeah. sure. And, 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 you know, this is the most important person to have lived probably last century, and we're living with the repercussions of the Manhattan Project today. Um you know, when we started working on this, um, every, everything in Ukraine hadn't kicked off, and suddenly it's like, you know, mm -hmm. the front page, and every, it's on the front of everybody's mind, and it's, the reality is the threat hasn't gone away, and, you know, since since we detonated the first bomb, we've been living under the, th the threat of nuclear annihilation for, you know, 80 years at this point, um, so it's amazing that we don't think about it all the time. Um, but somehow it's almost too big to think about. I think I think people just yeah. disassociate from it, and I think that's why this film's so confrontational because you you have to engage with it. You have to you have to engage with this idea that's bigger than all of us. Yeah, yeah. That, um, that's the sense that I took from this. That I learned about Oppenheimer. I learned more than what I knew before, which was this much. Uh, but it just brought back into focus this you know this threat that was seemed very prevalent when I was growing up yeah. right and then kind of went away and now is like back in our laps again yeah. right and what does it hold for your kids you know for yes, sure yes, for yes, sure yes. future generations yes. yeah the movie is uh, Oppenheimer it is uh, the number two movie of the weekend um, in the top five it's a very interesting top five uh, Barbie's number one Oppenheimer is uh, number two. Sound of Freedom, the independent film, uh, comes in in the number three spot, followed by Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, and uh, then uh, Insidious, the Red Door, the uh, horror movie. So uh, very interesting there. Uh, a couple of other notes. I wanted to point out some of the other performances in this movie that are spectacular. Uh, and Robert Downey Jr. would have to be sort of at the top of that list. He's another one that is going to be nominated for uh, Best uh, Performance by an Actor. Uh, he plays in this movie Louis Strauss, 
who is the um, sort of the the political go between between the uh, those who were actually making the bomb and the political forces who controlled uh, all of the dollars and whether or not this should take place. I mean, he was like kind of a kind of a political sleazeball, really. Uh, but Robert Downey Jr. is so good in this role. Look for an Oscar nomination from him in this. Uh, also featured in the movie is uh, Florence Pugh, is uh, Tony Goldwyn, Kenneth Branagh is uh, featured in the motion picture. Uh, also, uh, who am I f- forgetting here? Jason Clark, uh, Alden Ehrenreich, uh, terrific actor. Uh, if you don't know his name, you definitely would recognize his face. It's just loaded with one amazing performance after another. Uh, again, it's three hours long, so know that before you go in. And it is rated R. Uh, some people have been asking, you know, they wanted to take their kids to see uh, the movie, people who are under 18. And it, it's pretty, you know, it's a, it's about the atomic bomb. And uh, it's presented in a rather challenging way. So, you know, you know your kids better than I do of how much uh, they can take. Also know there, uh, there are some sexual moments uh, in this movie that uh, is part of the R rating uh, as well. I don't really remember... An overuse of, uh, uh, you know, vulgarity in it, uh, I don't remember. I mean, there's just so much to take in while you're watching the movie. But there there are some sexual images. Uh, there is, you know, the setting off of the atomic bomb. And while it wasn't presented in uh, a super graphic way of the effects of the atomic bomb, it was actually done with uh, restraint and respect i think for those who were affected by that by the japanese people who were uh affected by this uh it was it it wasn't done in the way that i thought it was going to be done uh you know which would have been a a very graphic and gruesome way it really wasn't that but it deals with some heavy stuff so you may want to think twice about uh you know taking your kids to go see this again you know your kids better than I do and what they can uh, handle. Uh, yeah, okay, so that's uh, pretty much what we've got for movies this week. Next week, The Haunted Mansion, the adaptation of the uh, longtime Disney attraction, hits theaters. Uh, I don't expect that it's going to hold a candle to uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer and some of the big movies of the week, but we'll see. We'll report it to you right here. Now, this would be a good day to be out on the lake, wouldn't it? Absolutely would be a wonderful day. As opposed to uh, parts of yesterday. <laughs> yes. Because you were out, you were, you, you didn't do the race to Mackinac as oh, you've no. done in the past, all the way to... Uh, all the way to the island. Right. Yeah. Mackinac Island. Mackinac as, Island. As some people like to go, <laughs> yeah. because that's how it's spelled. It's, it's, I don't it's, know why they don't change the spelling, too, but... Uh, but you, you've done that in the past. But what, exactly what you were out on the water is kind of part of this yesterday. I was, yes, uh, part of the media contingency that was covering the start of what's known as the racing class of the race to Mackinac. And it started out very nice. In fact, uh, it was a little bit uh, too uh, little wind uh, for some of the sailors that uh, got underway about 11 o'clock yesterday morning. But by 1 o'clock, 1.30, <laughs> in the course of two hours, things changed considerably considerably out there with the wind shifting 
and then the high winds. The sailors had them cut out for them. The weather started getting rough, is that what you're telling yes, me? Yes, it did. <laughs> and Mr. and Mrs. Howell were of no help whatsoever. Lovey. Lovey. It seems to be getting cloudy outside. Oh, Thurston. <laughs> 20 hanging out with Ginger. <laughs> I see you more of a Marianne kind of guy. The Marianne kind of guy. Yeah. Oh, Marianne yeah. Kind of definitely. Yeah. With 20, the skipper, too. So what did you do when you were out there and the weather started getting rough? The tiny we, tip ship well, was we tossed. Well, we were very fortunate when the, uh, the the ship was tossed. It wasn't a tiny ship, uh, but it was tossed uh, a little bit. Were all the media people on the ship? There were some. We had, There were several media boats out there, and oh. we were actually one of the lucky ones this year to get a beautiful uh, power boat to go out and uh, remained covered. We were very fortunate. Mm-hmm. We could go inside oh, that's nice. in the cabin. To uh, eat some free food? Eat some free, yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What a shock, huh, Andy? <laughs> I'm not shocked by that development at all. 20, where the free food is? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, but we were able to go inside uh, in the cabin when the uh, when the rain hit. Uh, it's got to be a little and, scary to be out there, right? When the, it's Because it was like pouring torrential kind yeah, of rain it, well it was and it but there was one other race where it actually was a little more uh, unnerving and that was several years ago where sadly we lost a, a person uh, if you remember about i think it was 2018 uh just after the start of the race uh, a sailor uh, went overboard and unfortunately mm. the flotation devices oh, uh, did not work but that race we were out on a on a bit smaller boat and outside and we had six to eight foot waves out there that was not pleasant Mm, at all that's got to be scary uh yeah but um we were in good hands with a great captain and i want to thank captain frank and laura who does a fantastic job of putting this together for us thanks for the free food and thanks for the free food yes mayor of the boat (laughs) <laughs> yes, vote now for the, me in the next election. Now the USS Shawnee. <laughs> By the way, uh, that story that you had about naming the new... Uh, dinosaur? That, is it a dinosaur or is, it's called something else, right? Uh, Strophoscorus? Yeah, something right. Like the Spinosaurus. Spinosaurus. The Spinosaurus, a yeah. fish-eating dinosaur right. with a crocodile-like jaw. Now, they've given you three choices to help name the Spinosaurus, but I would like to write in uh, your name. <laughs> and encourage everyone else to. How great would that be? A Schwanosaurus? If there was a dinosaur, <laughs> you go to the Field Museum and you see the Schwanosaurus. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I put, like that. You push the button and it tells you about Ampex tape and- recorders and 45 RPM record. That is so great. Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga from their album Love for Sale. Uh, the final final album that uh, we got from uh, Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, their second uh, duets album. Uh, the uh, album went on uh, to top the charts, and Tony began. Uh, Tony Bennett became the oldest person ever to have a number one album as a result of that. One of his many accolades uh, over the years, Tony Bennett, who we lost. Of course, uh, this year, uh, just uh, the other day on Friday, 
Uh, and there's just been accolades and tributes uh, and memories pouring out all over uh, social media from uh, all kinds of people, including Lady Gaga, who posted a very, very poignant uh, message. I had mentioned uh, earlier that the uh, final concert that Tony Bennett did at Radio City Music Hall is going to be repeated on CBS Tonight. They did uh, an amazing special uh, last November in which they uh, they showed this evening. It's called One Last Time, an evening with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. And it's a, a fantastic concert. It is uh, a sometimes uh, overly touching uh, farewell to Tony because you can definitely see the ravages of Alzheimer's uh, when he's backstage. It's so interestingly, when he's on stage and the music comes on, he snaps back into the Tony that we know, perfectly on pitch, uh, great stage presentation, everything. Uh, that's you know one of the mysteries of Alzheimer's, how music uh, seems to touch people who are living with the disease, and it certainly did with Tony. But it's very touching, it's very entertaining, and a, a fitting tribute to uh, Tony Bennett that CBS should repeat that tonight. It'll be on at 8 o'clock Central Time, CBS. They're also going to stream it on uh, Paramount Plus, if you're uh, interested in that. It is going to be quite remarkable. And uh, rest in peace, Tony. Uh, Thank you for all the fantastic entertainment, for all the great concerts, uh, for uh, his great artwork, for being a uh, civil rights pioneer. Uh, Tony Bennett was there uh, in the march to Selma with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1965. He has always been uh, an advocate for human rights and uh, civil rights. He was uh, just a a terrific human being. I'm honored uh, to have once had one opportunity to uh, sit with him behind microphones, and we had uh, a nice chat. I would give anything if I could uh, find that interview. I think I believe it's been lost. I uh, was doing a fill-in for Roy Leonard back in the day when Tony Bennett wasn't had been scheduled on Roy's show. And because Roy didn't show up, I filled in and uh, luckily got to uh, interview uh, Tony Bennett. And it was uh, my honor and my my thrill. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I always thought about also, he was my mom's favorite singer. Uh, my mom said, eh, you know, Frank Sinatra's okay. I like Tony Bennett. She loved Tony Bennett. So, you know, there's a special uh, connection there as well. Rest in peace, Tony. And thank you again for all of uh, the smiles that you put on our face through the years. We've got our food time show coming up in a few minutes. It's National Ice Cream Month, one of my favorite months of the year. Like, I need an excuse to eat ice cream. I've told you many times that my favorite ice cream of all time is original rainbow ice cream, which finally... After all the years that they've been in business are finally now spreading their wings to other locations in the Chicago area. Uh, but uh, it's still the greatest. It's the greatest ice cream in the history of ice cream, uh, in my opinion. And I know some of you have some other favorites, and I just want to open up the phone lines quickly for National Ice Cream Month and make some suggestions 
of other places that people can go for uh, some great ice cream just before we have all this crazy 90-degree weather that's going to hit this week. I'm going to clear the phone lines for you to get through right now, 312-981-7200. You can call or text 312-981-7200. Coming up, we'll get to some summertime dessert recipe ideas. Uh, Right now, talking uh, uh, ice cream for National Ice Cream Month. Uh, that's going on. I don't know who proclaims all these days and months, but I'm glad they do. Uh, and three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is our phone number. My favorite ice cream by far, uh, original Rainbow ice cream. I grew up with that on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I have never had anything that's been better than that. But let's see what Terry has to say. Hi, you're on WGN. Hi, Dean. Hello there. How are you? I'm good. Happy Ice Cream Month. Happy National Ice Cream Month. Yes. Yeah. Like, we don't need a a designation to enjoy ice cream. Like, we need a month to enjoy some ice cream. What's your favorite? So, my favorite is um, a brand called Chocolate Shop Ice Cream, and it's carried at several different locations. But the one that's closest to me is called Dinny's, D-I-N-I-S, or Dinny's. I'm not quite sure how they say it, but... Um, it is in Roselle and in Carroll Stream. Is this uh, like an ice cream uh, shop, an ice cream parlor kind of mm-hmm. deal? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All yep. Right. And but the the brand and it's carried at places like I know there's a place up in in Cary called the Cary Dairy. There's a place in downtown Barrington that carries it, but it's out of Madison, Wisconsin, is where the ice cream is made, huh. and it is literally the best ice cream I have ever had, and. There's several locations around the Madison area, okay. but it is super incredible ice cream. That sounds so good. fantastic. Creamy, is that what you mean? Creamy? Uh... Oh, my gosh. So creamy. Like, um, And the names are, are funny. They're um, like my One of my favorite flavors is called Fat Elvis, and <laughs> it is, um, it is a banana... Sweet banana ice cream, all shook up with salty peanut butter ripple and rich chocolate chips. Oh, that's it's very really, clever. It's really good. Yeah. Very, very good. So. I'll have the fat Elvis, please. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's another one called Exhausted Parent. Oh, um, that's great. Kitty, Kitty Bang Bang. Yeah. I mean, they're really, it's the, the ice cream is amazingly creamy and so good. That it's the kind of great. thing where when people go back to Madison, they stop at at um the chocolate shop ice cream yeah you have to get it so it's called the the chocolate shop ice cream is what it's called well that's the that's the manufacturer and that's what it's called in in wisconsin in madison up in madison yeah called chocolate shop ice cream but dinny's is that what you said dinny's d-i-n-i-s is one of the independent shops that carries carries their brand. Yeah, if you go on chocolateshopicecream.com, and you can find their locations, and then they also show their independent uh, shops that carry it, and there are, you know, several... Several throughout the area. There's some, I think, in the city as well. That's great to know. I'm definitely going to try that. Uh, oh, you have to. Sounds you delicious, to. and it sounds like a lot of fun at the same time. Terry, I hope you have a great day today. Stay nice and cool. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate the call. Hey, Ron, you're on WGN. Hi, Dean. Good morning. Good morning. Just driving by Rainbow Cone. Atta boy. I thought I'd call you. <laughs> Are you on Western um, Avenue? Are you on Western? 
No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm up. They have a satellite one now up in Mount Prospect. Ah, yes, out of the Bona Beef. Out of the out Bona Beef. Right, right, right. Yeah. And uh, when you think of uh, Rainbow Cone, you think of the Cock Robin also. Remember right, the Cock Robin, yeah. the Rainbow Sherbert? Yeah. But uh, we got a local place up here in Mount Prospect called Calipari's, and I think everyone should try it. Calipari's. What's, your, family now, what's your favorite? What's family your favorite? Family operation. Yeah. And then, um, and then the Oberweiss is always good. Okay. The birthday, yep. the birthday cake can make every day your birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's good is uh, what the heck is it called? Car- Carvel, Carvel, the ice cream. Oh yeah, Carvel. Yeah, they, yeah. I think that one's still in Niles. That is a good. That one's still in Niles. And I think they sell them at the major grocery stores. Carvel cakes, ice cream cakes. What a what a fantastic yes. idea for a cake. I, I love I love it as an ice cream cake. Remember the ice cream cake rolls years ago? Oh boy, the the little like individual rolls. Right, it came like a roll, and you know, like were family gatherings, they just a slice for everybody. That's right. Oh. That's right. It was it was a big treat. I do remember that, Ron. I appreciate your call, and thank you very much. Let's get to Jack here before we break. You're on WGN. Hello. Okay, you're going to think I'm crazy because I eat ice cream just about every day. I have a bowl of ice cream. Good. And the ice cream that I like, believe it or not, is from Jewel. It's their brand. It's just called Signature Ice Cream. Oh, no kidding. It's have, good, huh? I have, I have every flavor they have in my freezer. <laughs> Sometimes I have strawberry. Last night I had chocolate. Uh, and it's just regular ice cream, but it, it's Signature. It's, it's their ice cream, and it is really good. And also, I tried to get that that log you were just talking about. Yeah. They don't make them anymore. You can't find them. Oh, come on. Somebody must so, make an ice cream roll. The, the, those... I, it, was chocolate, it was chocolate cake with vanilla rolled in there. Yeah, yeah very and, uh, thin. It was a very thin chocolate cake. And a roll that they laid that out, well, and then it they was put. About six, it was about six inches uh, in diameter. Yeah, it was a pretty good size. Yeah, they put several it, several layers, inches. roll it up, and then freeze it. Right. Yeah, yeah it was it was abs- un- unbelievable. But they don't make it anymore. You can't find it. I'll, so I'll anyway, bet we're going to break I this jewel ice cream. I just happened to buy it one time because <laughs> it was on sale too for something. And I said, "This is good ice." So that's what I buy all of. Okay, somebody on somebody in the eight one five area code texted in. They love Costco's. Kirkland vanilla ice cream. So, you know, there okay. ice cream is ice cream, you know. So, I I, I will well, be willing to bet you. We're going to break for the news. By the time we come back from the news, I'll bet somebody knows where those cake rolls are. Stand by and we'll see if we can find out about that. 1238 already Dean Richards Food Time show, Chicago Radio's only cooking and dining show on the air. We'll talk summer desserts in a few minutes. And uh, I wanted to talk wine uh, because Wine Spectator, the world's leading authority on wine, has unveiled the winners of their 2023 Restaurant Awards, honoring the world's best restaurants for wine. Uh, turns out that many of them are right here in the Chicago area. Cassia Shifter is their director of Restaurant Awards. Cassia, welcome to WGN. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dean. So explain uh, what this award is and how restaurants are are recognized. Of course. Uh, So basically we award restaurants that have exceptional wine programs, exceptional wine lists. We have three levels of award. 
The entry level um, is our award of excellence. The second level is best of award of excellence. And then the third level, which is the hardest to attain, is our grand award. And every year, restaurants apply from around the globe. And we have a team of judges that goes through every single application with their wine list, their menu, and looks it over and determines whether or not, based on their wine list, they deserve a award. So what makes an excellent wine list then? Is it just having a, a huge variety of wines from which to choose? Is it having wines of certain varieties from different parts of the world? Few, from how, how, do you, how do you pick that? There's definitely a few different, there's no exact formula. There's a few different criteria that you can look at. For sure, having, um, you know, a breadth of wine regions, um, wine styles, you know, price point, you name it, is definitely always great. But, you know, there are a lot of Spanish restaurants that only have Spanish wines, and they have a very detailed, well-thought-out, curated list of Spanish wines. So we don't necessarily look that every or determine that everyone has to have, you know, this many wines from France, this many wines from California. If it goes perfectly with your restaurant and your menu and the idea of, what you're going for, then, you know, that's worthy of an, of an award. In our so, mind. yeah. So it's not, uh, not, uh, you know, the, the, the total picture, but it's how, how their wine list, uh, uh fits in with their menu yeah. and, uh, kind mm-hmm. of the varieties that are being offered, uh, from that particular region, whatever the restaurant, uh, happens to be. Are there certain regions which tend to have, better wine lists than others once you do all the compilations? Um, you mean in the U.S. or in the world? Like, well, you know, we think list? of, you know, we think of, uh, say, you know, Northern California as being a wine region. Mm-hmm. We think of Oregon as being a spectacular wine region. Does does that translate into better wine restaurants because they happen to be in their own respective wine countries? So that's actually a very interesting question. Um, I would say that we definitely notice that, you know, restaurants in Napa, Sonoma do specialize in a lot of, you know, niche sort of Napa, Sonoma wines that may not be in restaurants all over the world. So those lists are very interesting because they offer something to their diners that you can't just get anywhere. Yeah. And that's special and unique to them because they're in the area. And they're also, you know, promoting local winemakers and local you know, businesses. And so we definitely see the same thing, you know, in Southern France, um, uh, actually in Turkey, interestingly enough, there's a lot of wine, uh, restaurants in, you know, Istanbul and whatnot that specialize in Turkish wines, which mm. is very interesting because it's not something you see on wine lists all over. So, yeah. And it's a, uh, you know, predominantly Muslim country, which is non-alcoholic, <laughs> Uh, exactly. Yeah. Very. Uh, that is very very interesting. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm interested in the Chicago area, and uh, mm-hmm. you guys are nice enough to send over to me a list of uh, the Chicago area restaurants which made your list. Are there some to you that uh, stand out? Yeah, for sure. Um, so this year. I think there were about 78 in the entire Chicago metro area and uh, 55 winners in, you know, Chicago proper. Um, There's always, you know, 
we've had winners from 1994 up until new ones this year. Uh, the largest list I would say that we have um, as a winner is Maple and Ash, which definitely is a standout. They have a great list, very thorough. It's over 2,000 selections. And then, you know, we have everything from 2,000 selections to 90 selections. We had at least four new winners this year, Fioretta, uh, Jean and Giorgetti, Azador Bastian definitely stood out. Um, a lot of great newcomers and a lot of great restaurants that have been on the list or that have been winners for years. Yeah, what what I'm uh, looking at, I mean, the list is, uh, as you say, 78, uh, 78 uh, you know, Chicago area restaurants that are on here. And mm-hmm. a lot of the big restaurants, uh, you know, five-star restaurants that you would expect uh, mostly are uh, on this list, but what I like is there are some of the smaller restaurants, the neighborhood restaurants, which uh, have also made your list, and I, I think that is that says something. Uh, it, yeah, I it, mean, I think that's the beauty of having three levels of an award, so you can recognize smaller restaurants with smaller lists that are definitely putting noticeable effort into their wine programs. And you can recognize the bigger restaurants that you know have these big wine programs for years now. Yeah, I'm uh, just you know scrolling the list. It's all alphabetical, so uh, this isn't done in the order of uh, uh, you know ranking or anything like that. But Shaw's Crab House uh, is one that I'm looking at uh, right mm-hmm. here. The Capitol Grill, uh, both in Chicago and in Rosemont. Uh, and Schomburg, all all three of them are, are uh, noted in here. Uh, the Palm, uh, not surprisingly, yeah. it's actually right next door to us uh, here on Wacker Drive in, in uh, Chicago. Not not a surprise. But what I love seeing on here are uh, Suzette's Crepere in Wheaton. Mm-hmm. It's you know, which is a you know fairly small. It's not a not a huge place. It's not in downtown Chicago. It's out in the suburbs, uh, which is great. I'm seeing Andros Taverna, a uh, new Greek place that's on uh, Milwaukee Avenue, smaller restaurant uh, that's gotten some uh, notice. I mean, that's a, it's it's got to be an enormous project putting this together. But I love that it's uh, big restaurants, famous restaurants that you would expect to have really good wine lists. And uh, some smaller places that obviously have taken some time to provide some quality to their customers. Yeah, Andros Taverna is actually a great example. It's a Greek restaurant, and they have a, a predominantly Greek wine list that's really just well thought out and great choices. Yeah, it's uh, I would I would call it like sort of an upscale uh, Greek restaurant of you know lots yeah the traditional foods, but traditional foods that are done. You know, that they uh, jazz up a little bit uh, and upscale them. Here is uh, the 1776 restaurant, uh, which is a mm-hmm. longtime restaurant out in Crystal Lake, which is uh, a terrific choice. Uh, Cafe Lucci in uh, Glenview, a uh, great Italian restaurant out that way. That's, uh, n- you know, not a surprise that they would be on the list. Joe Seafood and uh, Prime Steak and Stone Crab. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think one of the best restaurants that we have in Chicago, uh, you know, showing up on the list. Were there any surprises for you at all? 
Surprises. Well, I mean, Chicago as a whole has definitely grown like leaps and bounds in my mind in terms of, you know, wine knowledge and their wine list in the past, you know, five to 10 years. So that in and of itself is just, it's really exciting to see when a city's like really going above and beyond, you know, and the restaurants, they sort of, they put pressure on each other and they compete. You know, how can we get a better wine list than this place? And this place has a really good wine list. So let's, you know, try to get something that they don't have. And that's what we love because the goal at the end of the day is just for people to be excited about wine, for people to want to teach their diners and their customers about wine. And, you know, then for the diners and the customers eventually to feel very comfortable having these conversations and choosing a wine from a wine list without feeling intimidated. Yeah. Any, uh, any of the restaurants uh, noted uh, serving wine out of a box? So I... That's kind of a joke that question. That could be possible. It's kind, but, of a, it's kind of a joke question. I don't question, think any but. of them... <laughs> any of, I don't <laughs> think any of them at this point have notes that they do boxed wine. Well, let me, <laughs> yes, let me, let me ask you, because I'm sure that you, you, know, you must know your wine. Uh, can you get a good wine in a box? And, and I'm seeing wine in cans now, which disturbs yeah, me so, a little bit. Are, are either of those uh, okay to drink, you think? They are, actually. More and more, we're seeing people, you know, just for the sake of, like, ease of use and ease of drinking, taking to the beach, people are doing more and more cans, boxes, just alternative sort of formats to bottles. And I think it's great. I mean, you know, you're not going to get a 1982 Bordeaux out of a box or a can anytime soon. But for sure, I think the more they grow in popularity, the more you're going to see like higher end wines possibly switching to these formats. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. But as you say, for convenience, I mean, if you're out on a picnic on the lakefront today, uh, you know, with some sandwiches and some potato salad, uh, a box of wine is going to service you perfectly <laughs> when you're oh, out of there. Of course, and it's like a better value, too. You get exactly. more wine for your Exactly. Buck. So how can people take a look at your wine spectator list of uh, the best wine restaurants in America? Yeah, of course. So we have a full search um, on our website, winespectator.com slash restaurants. And then we also have a free app that you, if you go to the app store for iPhone or for Android, whatever, there's a restaurant awards app, WS restaurant awards, and you can download it and you can search by your region, the ones near you. Um, You know, it's super easy to use. And we, again, we also have the online search and the magazine, our August 31st issue that's all about restaurants this year is out on stands now. Very good. Wine Spectator, winespectator.com slash restaurants for more. And uh, Cassia Shifter, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Uncle Dean wrapping things up here in a few minutes on our Food Time Show. Chicago Radio's only cooking and dining show. Let's see, we talk National Ice Cream Month. Uh, We have uh, unleashed uh, a bevy of people telling us where you can find the ice cream roll. Somebody asked about that. I guess they're called newlywed cakes. I'd never heard that. But some people said that Baskin Robbins has them. I mean, we're just getting all kinds of uh, suggestions on that. So uh, I'll do a little research. If I have to do some ice cream research for you, my listeners, I am more than happy to do that. 
Uh, we'll see if we can come up with some definitive answers on that. I wanted to just touch on uh, some summertime desserts uh, a little bit. And you know what? You cannot beat uh, a nice bowl of ice cream or gelato. My favorite gelato, pistachio, pistachio gelato. Uh, you know, if it's like an Italian gelato, I get super, super snooty about my gelato. Uh, but it's delicious and creamy and it's, you know, wonderful. Uh, but I, I enjoy just like a nice vanilla ice cream. I enjoy, you know, you name it. It's pretty pretty hard to not like a bowl of ice cream, right? That's, so that's a good dessert all by itself for summertime. You add in some grilled fruit, and that's it becomes even more heavenly to me. And right now we're in a peach season. Uh, and you get you get some nice peaches. Take you know, cut them, run the knife down the center of them. Take the uh, core out, the pit, and uh, throw those on the grill. Grill the peaches. Put it with some vanilla ice cream, and you you will sit there with your bowl of ice cream and go, "Thank you, Uncle Dean, for telling me about this. It's the most delicious thing I've ever put in my mouth in my life." Uh, it, that's fantastic. I I love uh, grilled. Uh, you know, you name it. I love grilled pineapple. I, there, there are lots of fruits that are terrific. Uh, you do a little grill job on them and add some ice cream. It's great. Um, I love, I've given the recipe for this. In fact, we've posted it. It's online if you want to look for it. Uh, strawberry rhubarb cobbler, which you can also do on the grill. Super easy with, uh, you know, a couple of cups of uh, strawberries, a couple of cups of rhubarb uh, some sugar, some cornstarch. You put it in a cast iron grill, and uh, then you can put whatever topping you want. Uh, I've taken biscuit mix and put it on top, put it on the grill for about a half an hour. The biscuit mix obviously bakes, and they're like biscuits on top of uh, this mixture of uh, you know wonderful strawberries and uh, uh, the rhubarb. Uh, I was this week going to make it uh, a gluten-free version, uh, which would have uh, included some gluten-free granola on there instead of the biscuit mix, which I think would also be uh, quite delicious. But this is the dessert that I'm going to be making on my TV cooking segment this coming Wednesday. It is a lemon no-bake pie. It's like a key lime pie, except it's lemon instead of lime. It's so refreshing on a hot summer night, and it couldn't be uh, any easier. It is uh, one bar, you know, standard size bar of cream cheese. It is um, some uh, a can of sweet condensed milk. It is uh, about half a cup. A freshly squeezed lemon. Uh, now, I strongly encourage you to use freshly squeezed lemon instead of the bottled lemon juice. Huge difference in the taste. I know it's a little elbow grease squeezing the uh, lemons, but uh, it makes a huge difference in the taste. And that's pretty much it for this recipe. You put it in a bowl with an electric mixer. You mix it up until it's all you know nice and creamy. You pour it into your pie crust. And again, I was looking for something that was gluten-free last night, so I found a pie crust. I, I was going to make it from scratch, and I was like, oh, I don't have time. I just bought uh, a pre-made gluten-free pie crust that was made with rice flour that was very delicious, by the way. Uh, but you can just use a graham cracker crust, you know, any kind of pie crust that you want. You pour 
this lemon mixture into the uh, pie crust, and you're done. That's it. It, it. it is the easiest thing in the world. Now, I took some lemon zest and just you know put a little lemon zest on top of it. Strictly decorative, but it adds a, a nice little lemon flavor as well. And I put it in the fridge. You should refrigerate it for, you know, three, five hours. I happened to put it in the fridge uh, and let it stay overnight. So it was nice and chilled. And the cream cheese solidified again. Everything solidified again. And it was so refreshing and delicious on a hot summer night. I cannot recommend this recipe to you enough. Uh, We're going to be posting it at WGNTV dot com slash dean cooks uh, that's how you can get my recipes uh, that i do on tv every week wgn dot com slash dean cooks or if you text the word dean to nine seven nine 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 get on your phone you know where you where you do texts and uh in the uh s- subject line you put the word dean and you send it to nine seven nine 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 We'll send you the recipes automatically every week. So then you don't even have to search them out. Well, I'll be happy to send them to you. But we post everything uh, at uh, WGNTV.com slash Dean Cooks. So that way you can get all my recipes. But this coming Wednesday, I'm going to – I'll show you how simple it is to make this pie. It couldn't be easier. And you will impress the heck out of your guests uh, that much, I promise you. If you've got some great summertime dessert recipes, let me know. Uh, be happy to take a look and maybe we'll do some of them on tv but in the meantime that uh, is going to wrap up the show for today i appreciate you listening as always i appreciate all the wonderful notes uh we get a lot of texts and emails of people who uh get a few laughs out of our sunday show and we appreciate that Uh, we will see you tomorrow morning as always monday through friday on bob surratt's morning show between 8 and 8 30 We talk showbiz and entertainment and have a few laughs.